BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Wherever you may be listening, good to be here. Judah Newby in for John Canzano on this uh, this fine Wednesday, December the 14th already. Already we're here. Uh, Stephen Vaughn behind the glass as well. Going to talk uh, all things about sports in our area, in our region. We got the Beavs in Vegas. Mike Parker will be on the show tomorrow uh, as they get ready to face the Florida Gators. And that spread, is it still at 10, Stephen? Last I looked, yeah, 10. Man. Double digits. No one wants to, to bite on the Gators. Uh, I probably wouldn't uh, do that either. Ducks and Tar Heels. Where is that line? I actually have not been dialed into the line for, for Ducks Tar Heels. Uh, last I saw, it was a lot. Ducks uh, favorite line because North Carolina is missing a lot of players. I'll, I'll check the updated line here. But last I looked, it was double figures as well. And Bo is playing. Should be playing. Drake May should be playing for North Carolina. But uh, Carolina, of course, they had a lot of guys in the transfer portal, uh, including Storm Duck, who I know uh, a lot of Duck fans want. Uh, to come That's to too Oregon, good, right? And it just is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're missing the, their best receiver, Downs, as well. So yeah. uh, a lot of guys. I got fourteen. Miss- yeah, four- I got Duckies fourteen. I got Duckies by fourteen as well. I mean, if you had to take, uh, you got to lay the points. One of those Oregon schools, Oregon, Oregon State. Who you laying? I don't know. I'm gonna have an answer for you though by the end of the show. Uh, which one of those? If you had to pick an Oregon school to cover the number, which one would it be? Beavs minus ten versus Florida. Ducks minus fourteen versus Carolina. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Or you can also tweet at seven fifty the game. Speaking of favorites, Blazers favored right tonight in uh, San Antonio. By about, uh, what was it, seven-ish? Seven and a half, yeah. Okay, okay. They're playing good ball as of late, right? They are. Uh, last two weeks, Judah, number one in offense, the Portland Trailblazers. Defense, not great, but offense. As in scoring? As like in per uh, offense, or? offensive rating, yeah. So that's per every uh, 100 possessions. 100 possessions? I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm not dialed into the advanced metrics. Would you call that an advanced metric? Offensive rating? Uh, offensive rating? Or is that just I, a metric? I think it's just a metric nowadays. Uh, a layman's stat, offensive rating. Yeah, it's just per 100 possessions, how many points you score. So you see yeah. a number, it's like 118.9. That's every 100 possessions, the Blazers score 118 points. And in, a, in an NBA game, you know, there's right around 100 possessions. If there's a lot of possessions, that's how many there'll be. Safe to say, ever since Damian has come back, like this team has refound itself, offensively at least. Because look, wait, he came back in the Utah game, or yeah. was that uh, was it after that? No, I think it was the Utah game, right? Yeah. They won one sixteen, one eleven. And Fernie went for forty five in that game. They beat Indiana. They lose the Jamal Murray uh, game winner. Then they beat Minnesota back to back. And I heard you and Peter on the show. I think it was Monday talking about uh, the dynamics of you know back to back games with the T Wolves. And you were a little bit, like, you know, concerned that, hey, it's hard to beat a team twice ever since they put in these, you know, COVID back-to-backs where you you play the same team, same venue, in a matter of two or three days. Like, it's it's hard to sweep those. They came out and they really dominated. And I think, obviously, it helps when your star player hits 11 threes. Yeah, no doubt. You know, they really did. Dane was on fire that game. And the thing I liked about it, though, you know, it seemed as if lately the Blazers had kind of resorted back to a little bit more iso ball, a little bit more pick-and-roll 
just with Damian Lillard, let him run the show. But in that last game against Minnesota, 32 assists, Judah, you, you love to see that out of the Trailblazers. Mm. And that's when you know the offense is really cooking. They're moving the ball around. Jeremy Grant's getting wide open shots. And when Dame's on fire like that, it just opens it up for everybody else like Jeremy Grant. And, you know, so even with guys struggling, Shane Sharp has been really struggling lately. You know, Nurk has been up and down. He's been playing a lot better lately. This offense for the Trailblazers is really, really good. Now you got to get the defense up to, you know, an average defensive team if you ever want to compete in the playoffs. But for right now, you know, it's nice to see the Blazers offense really, uh, you know, succeeding because early in the season, dude, they were like, you know, 14, 15 in the league. Like their offense wasn't even going well. Now at least the offense is, you know, elite and in the upper half. So I I like what I see out of Portland. Yeah, I just want to look up in March and be like, okay, is this team above eight? You know, like, are they, and how healthy are they? Are are they above eight in the Western Conference standings? Are they poised to make a run down the stretch? Because if they are, that's when, hey, we're really excited in March about this team. And that's a good place to be in year two under Chauncey and year one under Damon Chauncey, right? I mean, this is really year one for that pairing. So uh, excited to, to see that. So we'll talk more about that with the Trailblazers as they embark on a six-game roadie. It's going to take them uh, through the state of Texas, up to Oak City, finish in Denver before Christmas, and then uh, come back home for uh, Charlotte Monday, December the 26th. Uh, I did want to uh, start, though, with uh, just talking about the, the holiday season, Stephen. Are you in the holiday spirit? Oh, yeah, right in the midst of it. Uh, and now that it's now that I have two kids, it's changed because my second child, he was born on Christmas Day. So uh, it's more of, you know, it's all around holidays. holidays. It's not just Thanksgiving, wow. Christmas. It's now like a birthday. We have to somehow convince him that, you know, it's okay that everyone else is getting presents on your birthday. And he's only, you know, he's only three. Like, he hasn't really figured out, like, why are they getting presents on my birthday? I saw my brother get a birthday party. Nobody got presents. Now I got one. It's like, it doesn't make sense. So it's it's one of those things. It's a delicate dance we're trying to learn with him. So it's, uh, we're all in right now. We're all on board and ready to go. Yeah, that's tremendous. Now, I, the, uh, the, the women in my side of the family all have birthdays in December. Uh, like, my wife's got a December birthday. Both of my sisters-in-law have December birthdays. Uh, my Grammy's got a December birthday. And then obviously there's there's Christmas as well. And they always say, hey, you know, it, it depends where your birthday is relative to Christmas Day itself. Like if you've got a, an early December birthday, it's it's might it might not be as bad. Uh, it's not totally getting overshadowed by Christmas. But the closer you get to Christmas Day, the more of a worry there is that, oh, my goodness, my birthday is getting overshadowed by Christmas. How dare Christmas? And uh, I can't imagine it for a three-year-old boy to have his birthday land on Christmas and see everybody else get presents while he's like, wait a second. Everybody else gets presents on my birthday? It's not that I'm not getting presents, but it's supposed to be uh present exclusive for me over here and I'm seeing everybody else be happy too. I know. Poor little honey. I feel bad for him. <laughs> He's said to be doomed and devastated on his day. But you know, we're trying to make it special for him. We you know, we asked what he wants to bring, you know, dessert wise. Yeah. You know, so we're going to my wife's parents' house on Christmas Eve, then we have Christmas morning at our house, then we go to my side of the family Christmas night. So we're like, okay, what do you want to bring to Nama's house on Christmas Eve, he, you know, he decided. Then it's like, what do you want to have for bir- you know Christmas slash birthday breakfast? Like you get to there choose. So we're trying to make it special for him. Uh, it just you know, it's never going to be 
as special for him as it for anybody else. But, you know, it'll be cool. He'll figure it out. Yeah, he'll figure it out. And uh, after a while, uh, it'll be a, a fun realization. Uh, for me, like, I, I asked that question, are you in the holiday spirit? Are you getting in the holiday spirit? Because as I got as I get older, it's taken me longer. Is this a thing? Is this how life goes? Like, and, and what are the tricks and, and techniques to get in the holiday spirit if you're not in it already? Man, I'm getting consumed by the hustle and bustle. I'm getting, you know, stamped down by all this corporate stuff, you know? And uh, I'm like, man, what what is the true reason for the season? You know, how can I get that remembrance back into my brain, into my heart. Because right now we're 10 days out, and I don't feel like Christmassy that much. I get a, a few songs every now and then, but uh, we have a tree. I get that. You know, it's a little it's a little tree, uh, but uh, it's a tree nonetheless, and it's a real tree as well. Mm. Uh, but it, it's, uh, you know, I'm just not fully there yet, and I'm just looking for any listener's help or your own help, Stephen. Uh, how do you like to get into the Christmas spirit, and uh, and, and how can I make that happen? And then what are, you know, music is a big part of that. So give me your go-to Christmas album. That's what I want to know. What is your go-to Christmas album? Do you have a go-to Christmas artist, uh, song? What is that one song? And please, for the love of all that is Christmas, don't say Mariah Carey to me during the show today. It's not that I hate the song. It's just uh, that that doesn't that's not the essence of Christmas to me. All right, so please don't mention that. But is there other Christmas music that you're like, all right, all right, I need the Christmas vibes in my life right here, right now. Where is that go-to album? Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Sam is in Vancouver. What's up, Sam? What do you got for me? How do how do I get in the Christmas spirit? Hey, I tell you what, man. Do you have any kids? I have a little one who is 16, almost 16 months. That's my first kid. Okay, all right. Well, a little bit of a difference, but I'm a complete curmudgeon when it comes to Christmas. My son is away for college right now. He's 18 years old. So, first of all, that's going to go by fast. But I asked him, and I was like, you like Christmas, don't you? And he was like, yeah, it's my favorite holiday. So, basically, what I did is I made it look like Christmas puked in my apartment, got a tree, presents, (laughs) and I get presents every year, but I don't decorate. But, basically, that's what I did, and that joy, and people people that I'm friends with know I don't like it. Having them be like, hey, that's really good that you got it, it's kind of that's the Christmas spirit. So, basically, I'm doing it for my son and my son only, and that really kind of got me into the spirit for, uh, for Christmas this year. Oh, that's lovely. We're off to a good start. Thank you, Sam. Sam does it for other people, and that's why it's meaningful. I think I figured it out. It's like a it's like a Linus moment or a Charlie Brown moment in uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Christmas is not about me. It's about everyone. It's about the the other people in my life. That, that's my problem. Is I want it to be about me, Judah. Me I too. I don't want it to be about others. No, I mean, I, that, <laughs> basically what I heard from Sam is like he doesn't like he doesn't even like to you know not that he doesn't like to celebrate. But he doesn't want to decorate. He's faking it. He's faking the Christmas spirit, and it actually worked, and it tricked him into actually liking Christmas this year. So it's a little gotta, fake it till you make yeah, it you dynamic. You just got to fake it, Judah. Just fake it. Be really excited and energetic about Christmas. I like that. I like that a lot. So 503-417-7575. And Sam, good for you for uh, for taking it on yourself to you know, to kind of make it happen for, for, for your kids and for those around you. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it lifted your spirits a little bit. 
503-417-7575. Stephen, do you have a go-to Christmas album, a Christmas artist, some music in whatever capacity that you're like, yes, that puts me into the Christmas vibes. That's what I needed right about now. No, there's nothing, like, in particular, right? I, like, for me, I'm all about the old stuff, you know, like from the 50s and the 60s. That, How did that happen, by the way? I, You know, I just love that music. I don't know. I, I really do. Like, if I'm going to listen to Christmas music, I want it to be, you know, Sinatra, Dean Martin, those type of guys. You know, even some Elvis, we'll throw that in there. Like Bing. Yeah, Bing Crosby. Like, we were listening to uh, one of the songs. I forget what it was. And my son, he's like, well, what was this? What was this song produced? Because he could tell it was old. I'm like, in the 50s. He's like, man, that's old. But it's just like 70 years, Judah. Like, that is classic. Like, it still stands up today. So, for me, like, there's no run real song. It's just like, I'll turn on the station, the Christmas station, and just play the, uh, you know, play the hits. Play the hits. Yeah. yeah. That, that works as well. Uh, you know, there's a couple of different ones. Like, I am not a country music guy. I wouldn't put myself, you know, in that category, in that label. But there's a couple of bands that I really, really like. One is Zach Brown Band. Like, I just think they're phenomenal. Um, and again, I don't live in that genre, but did get a chance to see them live once, and it just blew my mind. Like, those guys are, are ridiculous, ridiculously skilled. And then the other album that I had growing up, uh, for whatever reason, was George Strait Christmas. And I think he's done multiple Christmas albums, but this particular George Strait Christmas album, like, dude, I listened to that from track one through track whatever, 14, nonstop, like basically from Thanksgiving to Christmas Day as a kid. And I know all those songs by heart, too. So uh, I think that's what I need to do a little bit is is dip into some George Strait. And then a sneaky runner-up for me, which is kind of funny because I heard you guys mention uh, this band on Monday is uh, is BNL, <laughs> it's the Bare Naked Ladies Christmas album. This is the third day in a row we've mentioned the Bare Naked. Is it really? You yeah. got to mention it yesterday. Yep. Oh well, their Christmas album is so great because we had a caller call in and actually said that was a great album. Oh really? Yeah, the Bare oh, Naked Ladies album. Yeah. Oh well, that's phenomenal. Well, that makes two of us caller from yesterday. Uh, love that album, man. And those guys are pretty funny and pretty talented as well. Uh, you know, in, in the, the Christian evangelical world, uh, that is my background. Um, you know, you got to be, you got to call them BNL. You know, you just have to go with, with the clean abbreviation BNL. That being said, the music itself is pretty phenomenal. And that gets me into a, to a holiday vibes too. So what's your go-to Christmas music, uh, Christmas album, Christmas song? Help me out. Help me get into the spirit right here. 503-417-7575. When we come back, we'll take some of your submissions along the way, and we'll dig into this question we posed at the top of the show. Beavers favored by 10 over the Gators. Ducks favored by 14 over the Heels. Which Oregon team would you lay the points with? Which Oregon team, which team from this state would you be more confident in laying the big old number in a bowl game on the road? I've got to lean on that. We'll flesh it out. I want your thoughts as well. You can tweet at Judah Newby, tweet at 750 the game, or call 503-417-7575. This is the BFT. Newby in for Canzano on the BFT radio network. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 the game. Newbie in for Consano, BFT, 3-6 to six here on the game and the BFT Radio Network, 503-417-7575. Beeves favored by 10 in the uh, upcoming Vegas Bowl Saturday 
By the way, 11.30 ESPN, for those of you that uh, put appointments in their phone for the original kickoff time, 4.30 on ABC, like yours truly does for these types of things, because he gots to tell the family that you need to watch the Beaver game. It's 11.30 Saturday on ESPN. So uh, make sure that uh, that you got that worked out in your life. Beavs favored by 10 over Florida. Ducks favored by 14 over Carolina. Which team from our state would you be more comfortable laying the points with? 503-417-7575. Westland, Oregon comes call number two on the day. Dan's in Westland. Hey, Dan. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I... You know, just to get, just to get into it, um, I'm a little nervous talking to you guys on the phone. I don't know if that happens to other callers, but um, I'm, I'm shaking right now. Um, I'm going to take the Beavers over. Um, I'm confident in the Beavers. I feel like uh, Dan Lanning's going to be fine in the long run, but I trust um, I trust the coaching staff at Oregon State with their knowledge and expertise over you know the last five years of running the program, keeping the kids focused um, and dialed in especially with all the distractions that can happen during the holiday season. Um, I also believe the Ducks are going to win, um, but I believe they're going to win by 10 uh, against the Heels. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks, yes. guys. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Um, one time. One time for the first time long time. Huh? Yeah. Come on now, Dan. If he didn't say he was nervous, I wouldn't have never thought about it. Exactly. Makes me wonder if he, he really was. But, uh, no, he he's, he you know, he crushed it. I will say, Dan, there are uh, callers that call in that are way more comfortable than you may have been that delivered way uh, <laughs> poorer phone calls than you just did. So good job, my friend. Way to crush it. He's more confident laying beavers in 10 than ducks in 14. Uh, I agree. Right now, I agree. Now. If you wanted to, you know, play the other side and say, look, North Carolina, their defense is terrible. And all the guys that were playing on defense for them opted out and transferred. So, like, where's that total at? I, I would play the over of wherever the total's at blindly. I don't even care where it is. A million? I, a million? I'm playing the over. There's going to be so many points, especially if Bosif plays in this game. 71-5? 71-5? Overall day, Ducks are going to get to 45 at least. The thing is, is you can, I think for both games, you can make nice, you know, arguments on why, why or why not a team would be motivated, right? Like I think you look at Florida and they are missing double-digit players in this game that have already opted out or going to the NFL, things like that, including the quarterback Anthony Richardson. But at the same time, uh, Billy Napier, the new coach of Florida, like he wants to get this program. Rewrite, you know, written really on a good note. Last 20, uh, 21 games, Billy Napier has been an underdog. You want to know what his record is against the spread? Hmm. 17, 3 and 1. Hmm. So double digits, and this is a guy who's won 17 out of his last 21 against the spread to cover that game. So, like, now how many and, of those were in Gainesville? Uh, that's, a, that's a different question, Judah, that I'm not prepared for. But <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I know that that would just be like, because, you know, he, one of the reasons he probably got the job in Florida was for that very stat of what right. he was able to do as an underdog at Lafayette. And the thing is, is you know, Florida for you know the season they had six and six, not great. They're losing a quarterback. Remember week one, they did beat Utah, who won the Pac-12. They probably you look at the recruiting rankings, more talented, quote unquote, talented than the Beavs. So you're gonna take you can give me a team with double digits and even the more talented team, maybe I don't know. Mm. And then for Oregon, like if Bo Nix plays, which it sounds like he's going to. How does this offense not score against North Carolina? 
right? Like North Carolina had one of the worst defenses in the nation, but at the same time, is Oregon motivated to play in the Holiday Bowl when just a few weeks ago, Judah, we were talking Las Vegas, we're talking college football playoff, and then it was loss, loss, and then season's over. So how motivated are the Ducks? That's, I mean, that's the question. Man, if the O-line shows up and is ready to kick some butt, uh, Oregon's going to be just fine in this game. The only way that this game is not uh, an Oregon track meet is if the O-line either you know, has guys that transfer away or that opt out of the bowl game for one reason or another. And I confess, I don't know exactly the number of starting O linemen uh, have decided to opt out or are committed to seeing this thing through. But if, if Oregon's O line shows up, man, they're going to have the ball, what, 12, 13 times and score 10 of those times, maybe 11, in my opinion. Uh, like, you know, it, like offensively only, I think it will remind you a lot of the Colorado game or something like that. And you look up and, there were some turnovers in there. You got some, you know, deep possessions deep in Buffalo red zone. Uh, you won't, you won't hold color, uh, North Carolina down to ten points like you did the Buffaloes. But from an offensive standpoint, I expect that, and that's even with Kenny Dillingham, you know, gone and a new, you know, Stein coming in. Uh, I don't know if Stein's going to have a role calling plays. I would assume not. Uh, but maybe he does. Um, but it won't be a new offense. Obviously, the the bones of the offense that they ran with with Kenneth are still going to be, in my opinion, what they're going to uh, install for this Holiday Bowl against Carolina. It's just there's so many things up in the air. And then back in in the back of my mind, I've got the performance from last year, which you want to throw out because, you know, Mario left and a bunch of coaches left. And you had uh, you had the, the receivers coach, uh, McClendon, was, uh, was, was the interim coach for that Holiday Bowl uh, in particular, or what, the Alamo Bowl, I should say, against Oklahoma. And uh, and then he ended up going to Georgia, you know, to, in the offseason as well. So I don't know. There were you had to throw out the Alamo Bowl performance last year from the Ducks, but that was not a good performance. Conversely, you have the performance the Beavers gave you in the bowl game last year, where you had Mountain West opponent come through with a uh, with a backup quarterback that ended up playing in in Cooper Lega, I guess is how you pronounce it. And, you know, he torched you after the Beavers go down the field, score a touchdown in two minutes. You know, the rest of the game, they really got dominated by Utah State. It was like, eh, that was that left a terrible taste in my mouth, at least, because that was like the first Saturday of bowl season. And ABC, Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, obviously it's not that high profile a bowl, but it's still got Jimmy's name on it. Guy shows up in the in the booth during the TV game and. You look up and you're getting kind of pushed around the field by Utah State. I mean, it was competitive, but, you know, Oregon State, they were favored by seven. Mm-hmm. They, they just lose by two scores. It was like 24-13 or something like that. It, yeah, was, it wasn't close. It was a boring football game. like, And that left a bad taste in my mouth. You know, you were seven and five going into that, I think. So you finished seven and six or you maybe finished seven. You had a seven-win season going into that and you can't put a, an eight number on it. That's a bad finish. So I'm looking for this team as a 10-point favorite. They were a 7-point favorite last year. Team as a 10-point favorite this year. Let's finish the job, huh? Let, let's be some some good beavers. Let's go get win number 10 and not leave not leave a shadow of a doubt. I don't want to let don't let this Florida team hang around. You're way better than these guys. You're way more motivated these than these guys. Go out there and kick some SEC ass. Put a 10 number on that win total. Get this done. Leave a good taste in your mouth. Oh, and by the way, early signing days next Wednesday. Put up, put them on a show here on ESPN and uh, get some good recruits out of this as well. I I 100% agree with you. I agree with Dan. I think if I had to choose between those two, I'm taking the beeves laying the number. And it's for all those reasons you just said. It's the motivation. 
Yo, this season seems like it's so much more different. We've heard just the way Jonathan Smith's been talking, the way the players have been talking about this game against Florida, and how they you know they respect the, the playing the Florida Gators of the SEC. Like this is a big time competition for Oregon State. Judah, I'll be honest, I've been looking for Florida audio like previewing Oregon yeah. State. I can't find a thing. <laughs> they are it? not they are not talking <laughs> about this game down in Gainesville. I read an article about. You know, all the opt-outs that Florida had. And the headline of the article said, probably the right choice to make this in this bowl game that doesn't matter. Like, Florida has basically said this game does not matter to them. So, for you, if you're an Oregon State fan, like, this has to be a win. You need to get to 10 wins this season. And if it, if it's not, I think it's a real disappointment that they're not gonna, if they don't win this game. So, I'm with the caller. I'm with you. I think I would lay the points with Oregon State before I lay it with Oregon. I also think with North Carolina, with just the fact that Drake May is back, like he's gonna carry that team to score enough points to stay within the number. Um, so I think Oregon State should dominate this game. It seems like Florida really doesn't care, and Oregon State, on the other hand, care a lot. Look, and, and you might be a ten point favorite, but it's still an SEC team, and I don't the care talent, the talent and, and speed with you know one of the most historic brands in the history of the sport. It matters to me that Oregon State goes out there and wins and wins comfortably and dominates doing it with some cathartic moments, like some truck stick moments, you know, and and some big-time moments on defense, too, just so that we get the picture in everybody's head, even the casual third-tier, fourth-tier college football fan that looks over and sees, oh, oh Florida's playing interesting on a Saturday at 2.30, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Oh, man, they're getting kicked in the mouth by the beavers i remember when the beavers were good that 2000 2001 like that fan that fan that was like oh hot dang the beavers are 14th in the cfp i didn't really remember that you know that fan to to get back into their minds that the beavers are nationally relevant and are not going anywhere to do that a you win this game b you look good doing it i think the look good doing it matters to me i think covering the spread matters to me in this game in this moment in particular even though it's a bowl game you never know what happens in bowl games but i do i do think winning and looking good does matter from a national relevance standpoint to the casual fit and i agree with you it, not to this extent definitely a lesser extent than the 2001 team against notre dame but that's the type of thing that it is even going to that game, the casual fans said Oregon State versus Notre Dame. Oh, Notre Dame's going to win. Oregon State puts 41 on them, wins 41-9. Of course, you remember Chad Johnson dropping the ball right for the end zone. But, like, to a lesser extent, this is kind of what it is again. Florida has that reputation of being an SEC school. And even though they've been down, they got the new coach. They had a good quarterback that's going to be a first-round pick more than likely, even though he's not playing. I think this is good for Oregon State and a big spot for them. But they need to go out and they need to dominate. And yeah. if they do... Just could, it creates more and more momentum for this program going into next season, where you know expectations are going to be high next season, Judah. Like this could be a preseason top fifteen, top twenty team. Like realistically, it really could be you know close to the top ten. You know what? That pumps me up. Like, I but mean, that's going to be that. one of our huge topics of the off season with with the Beavers. How do you fare as the hunted and not the hunter? Like if Oregon State wins by twenty four over Florida. And Damian Martinez comes back. They bring in a transfer quarterback. This team is threatening to be a top 10 preseason team. Like, yeah. This is like Utah of last season. And we're not thinking about the other teams that might be in similar positions as Oregon State, like Washington, mm, or even better positions. Obviously, Washington doesn't have the defense Oregon State does. 
uh, at least not the established defense, although they have some guys. They haven't put it all together yet, but it was good enough to be one of the top teams uh, in the in the conference and one of the top teams in the country when it was all said and done. But, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot to look forward to with the Beavers, but similar to the bowl game last year where they were expected to win, they come out humming, then they fall on their faces. Like, extrapolating that to an entire season of, of next year where – they're expected to do really good. Like eight wins is the floor now. Yeah. As they are 10 point favorites away from winning double digit games. I mean, if you, you can't go and win seven the year after that no. and feel good about it. For, for, you, you can't. It'd be the first time to win 10 since 2006, man. Like you come on. And now. you bring back a lot of the players. That's the thing, man. You bring back a lot. And like we've said, all they needed is a quarterback and they have 10 wins already. So. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of expectations, I think, especially if they win this game, man, just keep that momentum rolling. I do want to talk about the quarterback position at Oregon State. We'll save that later in the show as well. We'll talk some NFL next, but if you want to chime in at 503-417-7575, which team from our state would you be more comfortable laying the points with? Beavers favored by 10 over Florida. Ducks favored by 14 over Carolina. 503-417-7575. My initial answer is the Beavers. I'm more comfortable with them showing up, blowing out Florida this Saturday morning than I would be with the Ducks midweek on Fox on the 28th of the month, I believe, mm-hmm. down in uh, San Diego against uh, Mac Brown. But eager your thoughts. I can be swayed. 503-417-7575. We'll talk a little Seahawks in the NFL next on the BFT newbie in for Canzano. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five at 750 The Game at Jude Anubi on the uh, tweet machine. We're already at a week 15 in the National Football League. It's coming down the home stretch. Usually I am so dialed in on playoff scenarios, tiebreakers, upcoming schedules, all the different uh, ways that uh, any given NFL team can make the postseason. Ever since they went to seven, that complicated things just a little bit more. And this year I just haven't been able to be as dialed in as normal on all the uh, playoff scenarios. What I do know is as a Seahawk fan, this past Sunday was really hard. You just don't, you can't let Sam Darnold walk into your building and uh, and rip out a win. Now I say that tongue in cheek because Sam was fine, but obviously it's more Carolina rushing for 150 yards or more as a team, and uh, and three touchdowns going up 17 nothing in the blink of an eye in your house in a game you really need to not only stay in the NFC West picture but to stay in the NFC playoff picture. And to lose like that, it's tough. That's tough. That being said, at this time tomorrow. We will be uh, on the doorstep of Seahawks Niners CenturyLink. What is it called now? T-Mobile Park? No, that's not right either. It's called Quest Field. No, 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 that can't be it. What uh, Seahawks Stadium? That's what it's called. Yeah, it's Seahawks Stadium. We'll be uh, we'll be at Seahawks Stadium on the doorstep of a Thursday night football 49ers Seattle Seahawks. I'm fired up thinking about it. Uh, one of our good friends from up in Seattle, uh, Curtis Rogers, who uh, who works with Seattle Sports 710 up there, he's coming on the show tomorrow, and we'll preview Seahawks 49ers. Curtis used to work here on the show with uh, with JC and all of us here on the BFT, and uh, doing big things up at uh, at Seattle Sports Station. So we'll look forward to reconnecting with him as the uh, Seahawks and 49ers will do battle Thursday night football. Alan Kirk finally get a good one. 
a really good one, a really tasty one. Uh, that being said, I'm hearing it in Stephen Vaughn's updates throughout the day. The man that everybody's fallen in love with, Brock Purdy, future Hall of Famer, can do no wrong. Uh, what is he, questionable for this game now, Stephen? Questionable, yeah. He's got the oblique and rib injury, so uh, hmm. he is questionable. And if he can't go, it's Josh Johnson. Yes. Of, uh, like every right. team. Josh Johnson, the everyman's quarterback. Um, who was the one? Josh Freeman <laughs> was the Buccaneer quarterback, right? Yeah. Back in the day, and he uh, he found a couple of other places. But Josh Minnesota, Johnson would yeah. be. That's right, yeah. He the did. Monday night game in, against the uh, Giants. He got just uh, picked up in Minnesota maybe like a day and thrown right. out there. Tried to do his Baker impersonation do it, yeah. about a decade earlier and couldn't, uh, couldn't quite pull it off. Uh, I think Brock is going to play. I'd be surprised if he did not. And hey, look, it's a three-point spread, no Debo. And then what got me even more excited as a Seahawks fan, Stephen, was no injury designation for Kenny Walker. Is that what I'm seeing? That's what I saw today. Yeah, wow. no injury designation. He should be uh, really ready to go. Boom. All right. Let's go. Let's bring the run game. That was the big thing. Everybody's drawing conclusions out of the Carolina loss. I get it. We didn't have we didn't have Kenny Walker. All right. We didn't have the best running back in football. So, well, you know. Chris McCaffrey's going to be playing Thursday, but what best rookie running back in football? <laughs> that one, that one we can let pass. Um, that matters, you know, to the Seahawks' offensive operation. Geno's more comfortable with the sound run game. You're able up to uh, to marry up your play action concepts with your run game concepts uh, with a little bit more clarity and consistency and effect. The 49er defense, though, is so good. I hate it, but they're so good. They fly around. They play with their hair on fire, uh, and Fred Warner is unbelievable at middle linebacker. They're, all their linebackers are great. Greenlaw's playing good ball. Um, uh, I know they had another linebacker get banged up, but they're deep at that position, and they're deep on the D-line. Joey Bosa, or excuse me, Nick Bosa is, I mean, you cannot block this guy. If If Micah Parsons wasn't so dang good this year, Nick Bosa would be walking defensive player of the year. And, Stephen, I know you've got a ticket on Micah, correct? I do, and I'm getting a little worried about it. All right, yeah, because he's not—he's uh, still playing good, but not dominant. And, meanwhile, Nick is dominating folks each and every week. So um, I need your boy Gino to go out and have a nice game and yeah. uh, you know, give, give me back that number. But, yeah, I have Mike at 4-1. to one. He's still minus price. Uh, but, yeah, Nick Bosa is catching up on that market. Interesting, interesting. So, um, you know, the, the, their defense is so good. Diamondor Lenore, former Duck, he has really grown into a nice player for them. Obviously, Talanoa Hufunga, the, the native of uh, Corvallis, uh, he's playing really good ball, uh, the USC product. So there's some guys with local ties in this game and in this rivalry between the uh, Niners and Seahawks. When they met the first time this season, it was all the way back in Week 2. Seattle was coming off the emotional win over Russell, uh, basically our Super Bowl. So so glad that they settled for some dumbass field goal from 70,000 yards away. But love you, Nate. Love you. Thanks so much for that for that decision. Won that football game somehow. And uh, then went into a short week on the road, week two against the 49ers, who were quite motivated after losing to Chicago week one. And the Niners killed Seattle. We didn't even score a point on offense. We got seven points, and that was only on a blocked field goal <laughs> return for a touchdown. Lost that one like 27-7. So it's been a long time, and, and these two teams are, are very different versions of themselves in Week 15 than Week 2. 
and the spread is sitting right there at three. The total is sitting right there at forty-three. So there, it's there. You go. It's a twenty-three twenty game based on you know what Vegas uh, thinks they can get equal action on. You know mm-hmm. from from either side. And Stephen, look, man, I know I'm a Seahawk fan, but I'm hard pressed not to lean Seattle in this scenario. A lot of it is, though, what I heard in your update that Kenny Walker doesn't have any injury designations and hopes to play. Yeah, I think that's huge for Seattle. And look at it this way, Judah: like everybody is loving the 49ers right now. Like yeah. I love to look at the sports as like a stock market, the, the the betting lines. Right now, you couldn't you couldn't buy higher on the 49ers. You couldn't buy right. lower on the Seahawks right now. Come off the loss to Carolina at home, so you know maybe this is a spot where Seattle gets back on track just a little bit. And if you're Seattle right now, you know look at the rest of your schedule. You got to get a win here. You got to win two games, and then you'll probably have a pretty decent chance of making the playoffs. But that schedule: Niners, Chiefs, Jets, Rams. It's gonna be tough to get two wins. You know you would assume they could beat the Rams. The Jets have been playing well. If you could sneak a win against the 49ers, I think. You haven't punched your ticket necessarily, but the chances have just going to go through the roof yeah. because this is a game that you're not expected to win. And it's a winnable game, right? Brock Purdy, it's going to be his first start on the road, right? You know, it's different when you're playing at home in front of the home fans. This is going to be a raucous environment. Thursday night, all eyes on you. You're heading up to Seattle. Uh, Lumenfield, by the way. Lumen, Thank you. Lumenfield. I knew uh, that and then forgot and then just rolled with Seahawks Stadium because yeah. that was funnier. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, head up to there. Like, that is going to be a tough spot to perform well, right? So, I think if Seattle can score some points against this vaunted Tornado's defense, they got a shot. And I, I actually do like Seattle in this game. Yes. And I do think it's a, I think it's a winnable game for them. How? How the hell are we falling in love with Brock Purdy as a football country? Come on now. It's what? Come on, Duck fan. You remember what this guy did to you in the uh, Fiesta Bowl? Like, let's go. Like this. uh, But that was a snoozer of a Fiesta Bowl. That was not a fun Fiesta Bowl. Iowa State, Oregon, COVID year. Uh, But come on now. Like, what, what is this? The second coming? Like, let's settle down a little bit. Like, the dude's got big quads. We can give him that. That's it, all right? Like, he's the third-string quarterback for a reason. He was almost not drafted, all right? Let's 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 stop crowning him this early. I like your point, and that's what I'm thinking about. First true road game for this guy as the starting quarterback. Now, I, I respect Kyle Shanahan maybe more than uh, any other offensive-minded coach in the league. Obviously, you put McVay in that category as well. Uh, you put Mike McCarthy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you put other coaches in that category. Perhaps um, I put Sirianni in that category. Uh, I would have put Reich in that category, but obviously things kind of fell apart. And and Reich's loyalty to his quarterbacks probably uh, you know did him in at the end as well. But you know there are some guys that I just respect at a higher level, and I think it's merited. And Shanahan is one of those guys. And frankly, the quarterback, it's not really like an interchangeable piece, but it does almost feel that way with San Francisco. Uh, their ceiling, I think, changes with if it's a healthy Trey Lance, even if it's a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, But there's people out there saying, Stephen, that the 49ers can still go and win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. And I'm like, dude, we saw him in one game against a Tampa Bay team that didn't have Vitavea for three quarters of the game. All right, And he's one of the best run stuffers in the league. He, get, he gets hurt. He leaves early. And of course, you're going to run on the team without Vitavea. And Tampa Bay is just kind of ticking down. It's your third home game in a row. Like, I, I'm with you. I think people are buying high on the Niners right now. It's a short week, true road game, division rival. You know how jacked the heck up Seattle fans are going to be tomorrow night. 
I think this is a good spot for the Seahawks with Walker back. I don't know that it's a lot of points scored in this game, but I like the defense to force a couple of turnovers and just hang in there. That The one thing is Seattle's been poop stopping the run. Like They are a bad run defense. Obviously, from a matchup standpoint, that's what San Francisco does very well is run the football. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you win the football game. There's a lot of ways to win a football game than just one matchup being in your favor. Yeah, I mean, that's the key, right? Last week against the Panthers, 46 carries, 223 yards for Carolina. That's stupid. And you look at San Francisco last week, 36 for 209. Like, Seattle, or San Francisco's going to want to run the football. Can Seattle stop them? No, no, I, no I, we can't stop them. I, I tend we to can't disagree stop with them. You. I tend but... to disagree with you on this. I do think the 49ers can at least get to the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. Really? And the reason I think that is just because the NFC – who else in the NFC are we really buying as those contenders? Cowboys and Eagles, and that's it. I think the 49ers are a better team all around besides the quarterback position and would match up well against any of those teams because that run game, like you said, Kyle Shanahan knows how to get that run game going if Debo's healthy. But I think this is just a, I think this is a bad matchup for San Francisco coming off short week with Brock Purdy, first road game. I think Seattle can get him here, but I do think in the long run, the 49ers will be fine with Brock Purdy. That, that run game is going to be good enough. He's not going to be asked to make too many good throws. I just, you know, I like Seattle in this spot in, uh, on Thursday night. Sounds like he's interchangeable in your mind with Jimmy G. Then, yeah, that's like I don't like the same guy. I don't think Jimmy G's very good. Like yeah. they've won double-digit games in their career when he doesn't throw a touchdown pass. They don't need him, so I, I don't think that you know they're not going to make Brock Purdy have to make big throws down the field. It's going to be run the football with Mitchell and McCaffrey and yeah. then go from there. And frankly, that defense is so freaking good. <laughs> I mean, it's so good. If you like defensive football, just throw on all twenty-two of. The 49ers and the Jets, those, I mean, and obviously they're interrelated with Sala running things with uh, Mean Green over there in New York. Those two defenses kick some serious booty, and uh, that obviously is not going to be easy for Seattle to overcome. But if you've got NFL Plus, if you've got all 22, or if you're just a football fan in general, those two defenses, I can't get enough of watching them just from an objective football standpoint. Both of those uh, units are just, uh, they just suffocate you. Reminds me a lot of, you know, LOB stuff that, that Seattle used to have in uh, 12, 13, 14, a little bit of 15, less so. But, you know, and these defense, it's really hard to replicate dominance year after year on defense. But the 49ers had a great defense last year, got them the sixth seed in the NFC, got them road wins in Dallas, got them road wins in Green Bay. Like, that Green Bay win is insane. What Rodgers... And Adams had is so hard to slow down, and they put a clamp on those clowns in Green Bay. D'Amico Ryans is phenomenal. He's going to be a head coach sometime soon. I'm frankly a little bit surprised it hasn't happened yet. But the uh, the coach and the dudes that they have on that side of the ball, we should be talking more about that side than we are Brock Purdy. But of course, you know he's the QB, so we're we, talk we about love him. ourselves some QB. So real quick, yeah. Judah, if Seattle is to lose this game to San Francisco, do they make the playoffs? I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think you can lose this game to San Francisco and make the playoffs. So in that regard, I am preparing my Seahawk-colored heart to uh, to ride or die with the game tomorrow night. So you're going to be a mess tomorrow. That's what you get when you lose to the Panthers, you dummies. Come on. And the now. Raiders. And the Raiders, who are playing good ball. But that's kind of the line you're, you're – yeah, good point. They were playing good ball until they got bakered uh, in a five-minute span. They just got baked. They got oven-baked in five minutes. On uh, was that a Thursday? That was a Thursday night. Yeah, good for you, McDaniel's. Come on.
Uh, when we come back, our big splash, and then we'll go into hour two. Still asking you the question, which team from the state of Oregon would you rather lay the points with this bowl season? Beavs laying 10 versus the Gators, or Ducks laying 14 with the Heels? 503-417-7575. Newbie in for Canzano on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Newbie in for Canzano. Let's go to our big splash. The one thing you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, overcoming adversity is always something we should applaud. Cam McCormick did that throughout his Oregon Duck career today. He was awarded for it. Cam McCormick being named the winner of the 21st annual Capital One Orange Bowl Courage Award. Currently in his seventh season at UO, McCormick has bounced back from multiple season-ending injuries. He's overcome several family and personal struggles to play in every game this season for the 15th-ranked Oregon Ducks. McCormick said, quote, It is extremely humbling to be selected for the Capital One Orange Bowl Courage Award. I'm full of emotion and gratitude to be this year's recipient, as there were so many deserving nominees. So McCormick, uh, you know, if you're a Duck fan, A, you know of Cam because he's been around the program for a long time. And B, you know, uh, the amount of, you know, physical injuries he's battled through, the surgeries that he's had, uh, the adversity that he's faced, uh, also being a very close friend of the late Spencer Webb and sharing the tight end position room together and everything that uh, Spencer meant to Cam and and uh, the representation that Cam has done for Spencer this year. This is a very deserving winner of the Courage Award and that it, uh, it goes to a deserving recipient. And Cam McCormick, seven years in Eugene, upstanding uh, guy off the field as well, quality player, quality individual, well-deserving. And congratulations to Cam winning the Orange Bowl Courage Award that announced today. Hour one in the books, hour two coming up, taking your phone calls and a lot more on the BFT, on the BFT Radio Network. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Hour two, BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Newby in for Canzano, Stephen Vaughn spinning it behind the glass, and you at 503 417 75. Couple of questions for you out there listening, and appreciate you guys tuning in today. One, give me your holiday tunes. Your go-to holiday album that you like, the artist that you like, do not say Mariah Carey, even though, you know, I don't hate it, but uh, it's it's that's not the same thing. That can't be your go-to holiday song if it's literally every, you know, uh, 18-year-old girl's go-to holiday song, okay? It can't be yours as well. So, uh, uh, or Ariana Grande. I don't, does she do a holiday song, too? Someone told me she did. I mean, she's got it, probably. I heard one on my smart speaker, Alexa clearly does not know me because she's serving up grande to me 
I'm like, what are we doing here? This does not sound like George Strait to me, Alexa. So I've got a big problem with that. But uh, what else is your go-to Christmas holiday music? 503-417-7575. Lo and behold, we may serve it up to you at some point today or tomorrow, as I am also in for the bald one tomorrow as well, leading you into uh, Seahawks Niners. The best game that the NFL has to offer is in about 24 hours' time. Cannot wait for that. Uh, Secondarily, asking you, uh, which team from the state of Oregon are you more comfortable laying the points in uh, their uh, respective bowl games, Beavs minus 10 versus Florida, Ducks minus 14 versus Carolina. Could be talked into either one. I would lean Beavs as being a team I'm more comfortable laying the number with. Also, the number is shorter, <laughs> but I could be talked into the Ducks as well if you uh, lay out good arguments at 503 417 7575. Oh, looky here. One of, uh, one of our favorite listeners has called into the program. I need to uh, clear my throat a little bit here. Hold on. Before I say, James in Portland. Juice, juice, juice. Happy holidays to you and your family. What's up, brother? Phenomenal. Great to hear your voice. Congrats on everything you're doing for the jungle. And uh, it's good to hear you, man. How are you? Well, first, congrats to you. I mean, uh, so first, let's start with my favorite uh, holiday song. Um. I know everyone loves Mariah Carey. I'm just kidding, dude. It's John John Legend Silver Bells, dude. That do you turn that on with your woman at the holidays, and that'll turn your silver bells into silver balls, dude. And so, you know, first and foremost, I have to give respect, and I, you know, I'm so pumped you're hosting day, but to Kinzano about, you know, RIP, you know, thoughts and prayers out to Mike Leach and his family, his, his friends. I mean, one of the best, like kind of also like good, bad interviews of the Kinzano show for the last, what, 10 years? Juice. I mean, or eight years, at least he was, a legend on this show. Remember how John got mad at him that one time where he was kind of like on a walk and just totally dissed him. And I'm sorry if I missed yesterday's <laughs> show. So if I'm repeating stuff, but as a longtime listener, rest in peace, you know, Leach, you literally changed the game of football with your offense and play calling. And, you know, more importantly to you, to Samson, to John, happy holidays. And, by the way, how about them Blazers, dude? I mean, regardless of what they do, we got sharp. We got a young squad, Simons. We got we're, – we're legit. We're actually good again. And they're going to roll the Spurs tonight. But more importantly, Juice, it's great to get you on the phone. And happy holidays. I know you have a daughter. You, I got a daughter. Enjoy Christmas, bro, with those girls. And just to all you at 750 the game, come on! Come on! James, love you, brother. We've had our ups and downs, but I love you. Appreciate that very much. And happy holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Uh, James is one of a kind. And uh, big big shout out to him. And he is just he's just crushing it with uh, with his call-ins to Jim Rome lately, too. So putting uh, putting us on the map in the best way possible. We talked about Leach, I believe. Peter was in on uh, Monday and Tuesday. Obviously, Mike passed away Monday night. 
and uh, at the age of 61. And uh, that's it was really hard, you know, and I did not have a personal relationship with Mike Leach outside of his appearances on this radio show. That being said, you know, when things like this happen and I'm looking into the archives of all his appearances and there have been many since uh, he came to Washington State circa 2012. uh, Yeah, 2012, 2013. And he made a lot of appearances on the show. One, as as a host, you're like, okay, look, he's relevant. He's a head coach in the Pac-12. But two, he is pretty interesting to listen to if, uh, if you know, let alone it's just like a train wreck uh, that you can't look away from, right, in terms of his interview style. Like he will meander. He will answer questions with non-answers or just swerve to different topics. Or you can just ask him about different topics outside of football. And he is more than comfortable uh, maybe a little too comfortable at times diving into those topics. But as a radio guy, as a broadcaster, as someone in sports media, you actually, especially if you're hosting a, a talk radio format, you enjoy those individuals because they bring variety. They bring a, a certain level of unpredictability that uh, you can't fake. And it's entertaining, right? It's engaging. You're looking for stuff like that. The, the one thing, there's many things that have been shared about Mike. And uh, Bruce Feldman, I know, knew him um, probably as good as any journalist uh, could. He co-authored you know, his autobiography, Mike Leach's autobiography, Swing Your Sword. And Bruce did a podcast with Stu Mandel. I, I love their work. Uh, it's called The Audible. A lot of you guys listening to the show probably listen to it as well. And, and Bruce gave some good anecdotes and background onto Mike Leach and uh, what it was like working with the, him on that book and just kind of being honest, saying, look, if you knew Mike very well, then there were probably times in your relationship where you had to have some distance from Mike Leach. He was not for everybody. He was not everyone's cup of tea, right? And and that comes with the territory when you have that kind of a personality and uh, and being the, uh, you know, having the certain style that you do if you're Mike Leach. So he was not for everybody. Bruce himself was close to Mike writing the book. Then they had a little impasse, you know, in their relationship, and he needed some space from Mike. And then they they reconnected, and they got back together later on, and Bruce was just saying he can't believe he won't be able to talk to Mike Leach again. And I think a lot of us feel that way. He was so accessible. He was so generous with his time, even though it felt like it was a little bit, like, uh, chaotic. It was a little bit like, how the heck does this guy get anything done? Like, he is never on time. He he does not operate on a clock. He just, he definitely beats to the tune of his own drummer. And uh, that's what made him lovable to a lot of us in media and to a lot of fans, I'm sure. But what got discounted a little bit, you know, for, for me was just how brilliant of a football mind he was. I took that for granted. And realizing and kind of re-remembering, as it were, the uh, the degree that he impacted the sport, not just college football. The degree he impacted the NFL, high school football, with the air raid, you you can't overstate it. You can't overstate it. And, you know, people say from a scheme standpoint, at least in the te- last 10, 15 years, things have started to trickle up. They You know, schemes that work in high school start to trickle up into the college game. Th- schemes that start to work in college they eventually trickle up into the NFL game. It's not the other way around. It's not schemes working in the NFL end up being adopted by colleges. 
really the high school game is much more innovative from a scheme standpoint than the NFL. Certainly the college game is more innovative from a scheme standpoint than the NFL. And Mike Leach's influence on the entire sport of football with the air raid can't be overstated. I mean, he had such a major influence. And, you know, for as for as much as he was kind of silly at times, at least from our standpoint, like he was incredibly smart, sharp, sharp man, uh, gifted, and won a lot of games. And uh, the point that Bruce made and some people have made on social media since is the College Football Hall of Fame has a a rule that if you have coached for X number of years, you have to have won at least 60% of your games to make the College Football Hall of Fame. And Mike has won like 59.5% of his games, <laughs> which, uh, I mean, I can't help but but laugh at it now. But obviously... Mike needs to be in the Hall of Fame for his impact on college football. Like, you know, easy. Uh, he wouldn't have been nominated at this point in his career or at this point of his life. But obviously, with his passing, I think we all are in agreement that as soon as is possible, we need to put Mike Leach in the College Football Hall of Fame, even though he didn't technically win 60% of his games. Like, when you're talking about one individual impacting a sport— uh, Mike certainly did that, arguably more than uh, than any any other coach from a from a scheme standpoint. But you know, and, and look, his, his the role he played on the Palouse was significant uh, to get Washington State to a to a point to where they were hard to beat. They were always hard to beat in Pullman, and those quarterbacks throwing for four hundo, five hundo a game, <laughs> even though hardly any of them. Uh, panned out in the NFL, like that was still cool, and that was one of the things that the Pac-12 had when the conference with, uh, was otherwise kind of a laughing stock run by a commissioner in over his head and paid a ridiculous amount of money. You had certain teams in this conference that were either a unapologetically good, like Oregon's Chip Kelly teams, or in the 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 Mark Halfridge national title year, or you had teams with personality and were at least teams that had a characteristic that you're like, oh, yeah, that team's got that coach, they've got that scheme, and that's what Leach brought to Washington State and uh, brought a little bit of, you know, I think I think he affected the conference positively, you know, without question. Um, and I think we're lucky that, that he got to be in the Pac-12 footprint for the time that, uh, that he was here before taking the SEC job a few years ago. Uh, but I also thought definitely about all the appearances he made on the show – uh, I think Peter replayed his most recent appearance on the BFT in yesterday's show, which was uh, in September with Mississippi State. We had him on maybe two or three times since he took the Mississippi State job, but we had him on a few times every season when he was at Washington State as well. So um, they were memorable. They're kind of Bill Walton-esque. You, you ask one question, then you sit back and you just uh, kind of let Leach do his thing, and then eventually as a host you got to butt back in and get him back, back on track. Otherwise, you know, people's eyes start to glaze over a little bit. But it's a dance. You dance with the man when he comes on the show. And uh, th- those are fun dances. And I'll miss those. He was awesome. Rest in peace, Mike Leach. And thanks for everything you did for the sport of football and for uh, coming on the BFT as many times as you did and giving us the memories that you did as well. We'll bounce a break. 
come back. We'll talk a little Trailblazers as well. Uh, Tip-off coming up for them and uh, closer to the top of the hour. Continue to take your phone calls at 503-417-7575. Your go-to holiday tunes. Would you lay Beavers in 10 or Ducks in 14? If you had to choose one, let me know. You can also tweet at Jude Anubi at 750 The Game. Back in a moment on the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Newbie in for Canzano on the BFT. John getting some uh, some time off for the holiday break. 503-417-7575. Did have breaking news uh, as we went to break, so let's unpack it here, uh, Stephen Vaughn. UC Regents finally met after a long time, and the vote is in. The decision has been made. UCLA is going to the Big Ten Conference. That's official. An 11-5 to 5 vote per John Wilner. Regents approve UCLA's move to the Big Ten by a vote of 11-5. to 5. Hardly unanimous, but it does pass, apparently. And I do find it... Um, I do find it relieving that we are... We finally have resolution, even though... I would have loved to have seen this get messy and keep UCLA in the Pac-12 would have been great. Uh, but, you know, the 11-5 to 5 does stand out to me, the fact that it, it was hardly unanimous. I mean, to me, at least on the face of it, that's a decent amount of pushback. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll see how that gets unpacked and how that gets contextualized. But UCLA, it does look like going to the Big Ten Conference with some accompanying conditions I think those conditions are some uh, some budget approvals and assurances in the departments of things like mental health for the student-athletes, uh, travel expenses being appropriately divvied out, um, things that would seem a little bit more responsible um, that you would have hoped were uh, agreed to up front, but apparently they needed this UC Regents meeting to ensure that they would happen. And uh, who knows if they're happening at USC but, Stephen, here we go. UCLA officially on the move uh, in 2024 with Southern Cal. Yeah, it's it's not the decision that I was hoping for. You know, I, I had I felt like as as long as it kept going, there was more and more chance that they may stay in the Pac-12. Um, but, you know, it seems like you know it wasn't unanimous by any, by any stretch. And uh, now UCLA going to the Big Ten. Uh, they're going to have to have a Cal Berkeley tax as well. They're, they're going to have to uh, give them some money once the new media rights deal for the Pac-12 is done as well. So uh, you know, UCLA knows what they're doing, and they're going to give uh, give that money to Berkeley and pay that little the Berkeley tax. tax. The Berkeley tax, Cal, the calimony, as I've seen on uh, <laughs> on Twitter. But uh, you know, I think it's good just to have the resolution of what is exactly going to happen, who's going to be in the Pac-10 now, and. Does the Pac-12 do they go out and they try to you know revive and go back and try to get it to 12 teams? I think that's a, that's the talk because you know as time's gone on with Klyovkov, Judah, like I've lost confidence in it because it's just the same old, same old. It seems like he's just kicking the can down the road, and we're not hearing anything new. Well, now we know. We know for a fact UCLA, USC, UCLA's gone. What is the next step now after the Pac-12 media deal? Are they going to be getting new members or are they just going to roll with 10? Like I'm cool with either. I just want to hear some type of plan. Yeah, and I think that. I would hope that that plan is coming soon. I agree with you. I think 
Uh, and George mentioned that, you know, I, well, Dan Patrick mentioned, what was it, like a month ago almost, San Diego State to the Pac-12. I'd be stunned if San Diego State did not come to the, the Pac conference now, like starting in, in 24. Who the second team would be? I'm. You talked me into UNLV being advantageous. Obviously, and not exactly a powerhouse athletically at the moment. Historically, they've been very good in uh, in basketball. They're actually really good at basketball this year, too, undefeated still. Really? Yeah. Ranked, I would assume? No, not ranked yet. Wow, well, then what are we doing? Who, who are we playing to be undefeated they, in, in Christmas time and they, not be ranked? They haven't beat too many good teams. They beat Washington State. They beat um, Minnesota, who's down this year. But they, uh, they have a new coach, and uh, it's... Uh, what's his face? It's Lon Kruger's son, Kevin Kruger. He played at UNLV back when they made their <laughs> run, and they get after people. They got some good athletes. That's so really funny. The basketball team is actually pretty good. I don't mean to laugh at Kevin uh, Kruger, but it sounds an awful, awful lot like Kevin Kugler, the uh, Westwood One Fox broadcaster. So that gets uh, in my head sometimes. Kevin Kruger, Lon's kid. Lon, who's very tight with Dana Altman, right? Like they go back to their uh, their Big Twelve days together. So. Um, yeah, so so his kiddo is at UNLV. His kiddo, he was on the running Rebel squads with. Was he on Larry Johnson's? No, not teams? not that later? early. It was it was later on when they All made right. a nice run. All right. Well, uh, I think that would be reasonable, but you know, I don't know. I'd like that probably better than a uh, a team from the state of Texas, like. Uh, SMU was floated out there, but you know how it's all TV markets, et cetera, et cetera. It, it seems like, you know, we, you hear Gonzano talk about it. Like, that's kind of the choices. Do they want SMU or not? Like, San Diego State seems like a, a slam dunk. And do they want to go into the Texas market at SMU? I'm kind of with you. Like, I think that's not the best choice, but, you know, I might be wrong on that. Yeah. 503-417-7575. The way that it was posed throughout the process was, like, Finally, the UC regions are going to meet and make a decision because it's been so long. We knew it was going to be today. Secondly, it's like a 98% chance UCLA is still going to the Big Ten. Therefore, I wasn't getting my hopes up. But the 11-5 to 5 vote, to me, means there was a dish, decent amount of pushback. Now, I don't know how many of those five dissenters were um, those like that were fine with the overall move but wanted certain stipulations um, that were more aggressive than the stipulations I got. Maybe it was that. Or maybe it was five dissenters that were just like, dude, no, this is overall not a good idea, and uh, I don't think we should be doing this. So it's hard to say. I'm sure uh, John Wilner, John Cazano, both of them at their respective outlets will have more context, more insight, more sourced reporting to bring clarity on uh, on what this means outside of peace Trojans, peace Bruins, don't let the door hit you, and... USC didn't win the conference this year. Uh, UCLA faded down the stretch. Now both of these schools, they've got one more year in the, in the conference, and then they're going to go expect to compete in the Big Ten. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how that works out for them. Um, I'm interested to see how it works out for Big Ten teams coming to, to Southern California for these road games. I'm interested to see how the schedule ends up being aligned for them. I am interested to see how this affects the Pac-12 media rights negotiations. I, I'm sure, and John's reported this, that there were two uh, kind of prognostications for the conference media rights. One was with U, uh, UCLA in it. One was without UCLA in it. And I'm sure all the, the people looking to get in on Pac-12 media rights were well-versed in those scenarios and were probably anticipating 
the one sans UCLA. The question I have, were there media evaluations being made sans UCLA with San Diego State, with UNLV? Were there other valuations that had schools added, you know, potential schools, potential markets added? Um, I think there were. I think there were. And how does that affect negotiations? What does that mean for the uh, for the future of the conference? Because guess what? We've been talking about this for a damn, damn near a year. And it's almost 2024. Like, in a couple weeks, we're going to be a year away from all this actually legit happening. So, like, we got we to gotta find some clarity. We got to get some, you know, if you don't have Amazon Prime at this point, you, you might need to get it. If you want to watch a Pac-12 football games, if that's the direction we're going, maybe there's some a slice of Apple TV in there somewhere. I don't know if there's a linear partner that's still going to have a role. I'm sure there will be. I, I would be, I'd, I'd find it hard to believe that the Pac-12 wouldn't find some relationship with Fox, some relationship with CBS, maybe NBC. I don't know. Maybe ESPN. I don't know. I would be hard pressed to have a scenario in which the Pac-12 did not have some games linear TV. You know, by that I mean, you know, your your cable or your your over-the-air partners, especially Fox. I think it's too good of a relationship. It makes too much sense of a relationship to get freezed out in total. And that wouldn't be a good idea for the Pac-12 either. I still think you want your Fox relationship. Does that include your Pac-12 championship game? I don't know. I don't know. And I think that's kind of the cherry on it because, to me, the Pac-12 championship game has... I, I don't know. I kind of was impressed by the production and the uh, the the overall excitement and buzz around this year's Pac-12 championship game. It was unfortunate that Caleb got hurt, but the way that Utah finished in that second half was pretty cool. I think it got a lot of people talking. I think Jason Benetti and Brock Heward did a good job with it, um, better than some Fox crews have done in the past. But uh, it felt bigger do, do you on this think, stage than it has in the past to me, the, the Fox Pac-12 title game. Sorry to interrupt you, but do you think that's because USC was in it and yeah. USC's head to the Big Ten? Yeah, well, and, and the fact that they were a win away from the playoff and they had the Heisman winner. That's all part of it for sure. What, and that matters more than the network on which it broadcasts. Um, last year's Oregon-Utah game didn't feel that big to me, right? And, you know, obviously Utah kicked Oregon in the teeth, but... Just from an outside perspective, it felt smaller than this one. And that could have just been we were only a year away, uh, a year removed from the pandemic. Obviously, 2020 didn't feel like anything, even though Oregon won. And 2019, that was the Oregon-Utah game. And A, that was Santa Clara, right? B, that was Utah as it went away from the playoff. Utah was favored by six and a half. And then Oregon kicked their butts. C.J. Verdell ran all over him. Kayvon Thibodeau made a joke out of uh, out of Utah's offensive line and special teams, and that was a huge win for Oregon on their way to winning the Rose Bowl with uh, with Herbie and company. So, um, I think getting it to Vegas was step one. Uh, getting through the pandemic year was step two, and I'm starting to think that the Fox Pac-12 Friday night thing is 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 working. I think it's starting to work. Um, but the key is, it's Stephen, to your point. Without a USC in it, without a Heisman winner in that game, will it still hold up? And if you are the Pac-12, you're, you hope that your best quarterback is in that game every year. You hope that, you know, if you're a Duck fan, plug your ears, but you hope that U-Dub's in that game next year if you're Klyovkov. Unless Bosif comes back, you hope that maybe the Ducks make a run to that as well. Or some sexy new thing like like what Ken's working with in Tempe makes his way up there. You hope that one of your really good hot stories 
gets to that Pac-12 title game. And uh, I would think that scrapping the divisions helps that cause, but then this year it kind of worked against them a little bit. Otherwise, I think Washington would have been winners in the North and in that game. And obviously, some people would argue a Penix versus Williams game would have been better than a Utah versus USC game, even though Utah ended up winning. Yeah, I think you're right on that because it was both South teams. I think uh, USC was probably going to lose to whoever they played. I, I, and I Caleb, but Caleb, how, that, 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 that I'm myself. That the defense was, was bad, but Caleb's injury kept that from being a you know pedal to the metal both sides shootout. If he's a hundred percent, might have a different outcome in my opinion, and that's coming from me. You know, I'm a Caleb Williams skeptic. Yeah, I mean, you might be right on that. It, it it's just going to be so interesting to see what the Pac-12 does going forward because. Yeah. There's so many questions still, and you know, call me naive, but I just I don't have faith in the Pac-12 to make the right decision. I still don't, and I I never will. They've burned me too many times. So, uh, you know, I think it is good. I do agree with you also that they're gonna have to have some type of imprint on the linear TV market. I think it'd be way too risky to go all streaming and be the first to jump into that market and just be all streaming. I think that they should. I think they should jump in, but not fully. Like they gotta have some type of deal outside of that as well because I do think uh you know TV and linear TV still has value in this day and age. 503-417-7575 your thoughts on UCLA officially leaving the Pac-12 joining the Big 10. UC Regents have exited their meeting. It was an 11 to 5 vote to approve UCLA's move. Five dissenting votes, which was more than I would have thought considering it was like a 97% chance in, uh, according to most reporting, that UCLA was going to make this move. But the Bruins are out the door in 2024. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but don't let the door hit you on the way out, Chip and company. 503-417-7575. More BFT in a moment on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. We're becoming the Pac Ten in real time. UCLA leaving for the Big Ten conference is official in twenty twenty four. Martin Jarmond, UCLA athletic director, issued a statement: "Quote: We're excited to join the Big Ten conference in twenty twenty four, and are grateful for the Board of Regents' thoughtful engagement in this discussion." We've always been guided by what is best for our 25 teams and more than 700 student athletes. And the Big Ten offers exciting new competitive opportunities on a bigger national media platform for our student athletes to compete and showcase their talent. Unquote. Martin Jarman, who is known as the Alice and Nahum Laner family director of athletics at uh, the University of California, Los Angeles. Uh, a bigger national media platform for our student athletes to compete and showcase their talent. He includes that in his statement. Now I'm getting PTSD all over again. <laughs> are we really that inferior? Are we? Are we really that inferior to the Big Ten conference that's got? 16 teams, 10 of which are mediocre. 
have we really come to that? We're on Fox 2. We play good football too. Ohio State getting in the playoff is dumb. They got rocked in their own house. And they're in the playoff. And now we're just putting the Big Ten on this pedestal that's untouchable. What happened last time a Big Ten team brought in a actual good Pac-12 team into their own house? Hmm. Let me think. What happened? Oh, yeah. They lost as 14-and-a-half-point favorites. That's what happened. Like, come on. Martin Jarmont, UCLA, may have gotten a bigger national media platform to lose big games on. You're not winning these games. Big Ten's got, you know, they've got an inflation issue, and I don't mean the the modern-day economy. I'm talking about the modern-day perception of that conference. Like, college football, there's like one great team. There's like one great team, okay? And there's one, all the conferences are pretty good to really good. But count me among those that do not think there is as great a disparity between conferences as we're chosen to, you know, as media people want us to think. I don't think so. I don't think so. I hope that that is manifest by the Beavers kicking some gator tail and the Ducks, you know, kicking some Carolina tail. But at the same time, like, I don't want to overreact to bowl season, but I get PTSD from this Martin Jarmont statement that UCLA is leaving because the Big Ten offers exciting new competitive opportunities on a bigger national media platform. Why lie? I mean... I know why you're lying, but why lie? You can just say money. You can just say money. Like, that's all we want. You're just getting more money. That's the reality of it. You don't got to sugarcoat nothing. It's just for more money, Martin. Friend of the show. At least former friend of the show. Maybe we have you on. I don't know. But it's for the cash, my man. You know this. We all know this. It's not for better competitive opportunities. It's not. That is a bold-faced lie. As Bill Walton said, you don't go to the Midwest for the money, like that, like that, you know, or something. Like, something to that effect. The like, answer is not in the Midwest. Yeah, the answer is not in the Midwest. We never go to the Midwest like, for answers. Are we really going to Iowa and Nebraska to be like, oh yeah, that's that's the big market we need to go hit? Like that, yeah, I don't know. Seems like seems like a shot at the Pac-12 on the way out. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know that he's dressed up this statement for months and can't wait to put it out there. And I just think, man, it's like. I think you're overinflating how valuable, you know, UCLA is. Like, you need the Big Ten way more than the Big Ten needs you. Well, UCLA is just lucky they're in L.A. next to USC. It's just geography. It's just geography. It has nothing to do with, you know, what they've been able to do athletically, and that's with a little mini resurgence in uh, men's hoops with Cronin. Now, I feel like this year we weren't necessarily rooting against UCLA as much as we were USC. No, I liked USC. They won me some some uh, some bets. So are we now officially against UCLA now as well as Pac-12 people? Because we had a lot of callers that called I think in you gotta during, be. during the Pac-12 title yeah. game and said, no, nah, we can't root for USC. They're yeah. out of here. Well, now that UCLA is out of here too, I think they're also public enemy number 1B. USC remains public enemy 1A, and UCLA remains public enemy 1B. And that includes Chip, you know? I mean, like, you can't root for for them to be, 
to be good. I mean, look, obviously you and I, we host a sports wagering show on the weekends, bet the game. Like, we root for winners, all yeah. right? That's, you know, bottom line, that's what you root for. I'm all about the money, now, just like UCLA. Look, I, look, at least you say that. Unlike Martin Jarmon, who's sugarcoating it with all this corporate BS. Like, it's it's just a money decision. We all know it. We all get it. And we all knew that this was the likely outcome all the way. And uh, it just took us months and almost years off our lives to get to this point. But, yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Pac-12 fan, you got to you gotta at least not have USC or UCLA win the conference. I think the Utah win over USC, we're going to look back on it and realize how much we needed that as, as, yeah. as the Pac-12, even though, you know, what was the week of the week of the game? You and I were both kind of like pulling for USC a little bit just because we wanted to see Caleb in the playoff, USC in the in the playoff, not necessarily to win a game, but just as a TV viewer to see what it would look like. Because to me, Utah, there's no sex appeal with with that, you know, for me at the very least. Now, you know, credit to them for winning in the manner in which they did. Hopefully they win the Rose Bowl as well to make a make the conference look even better. But it was kind of a lose-lose situation, I think, as a, as a casual Pac-12 fan. What you really wanted was Oregon to play Utah and Oregon to win and maybe go to the playoff or at least go to the Rose Bowl. That did not happen because the Ducks decided to fall asleep in the middle of the Civil War. Um, but at the same time, who knows? Maybe Utah would have beaten Oregon in that game. I don't really know. But the fact that USC ended up losing to Utah, I think, in the long run, is a good thing for the conference because it's not going to be a place where it's like, okay, the Pac-12's best team is now joining a conference that's better than the Pac-12. And that, that would weaken the Pac-12, where in reality is, and I think Oregon State has a role to play here with their ascension, the reality is that there's a lot of really good teams in this conference. And whether it's uh, the, the obstacle of overcoming the negative perception that's been hammered into the country for a decade, you know, referees, Larry Scott, whatever, or B... Uh, lack of exposure, you know, just on television channels. There's a lot to overcome from a perception standpoint and a narrative standpoint. And the only way that you can overcome that is winning a bunch of non-conference games against other Power 5 schools, like Oregon did last year, like the Beavers and the Ducks have a chance to do in their bowl games. You win the games on the field, and then you keep yourself away from these kind of like, um, you know, chaotic negative storylines like bad officiating. It's a long. What I mean is, it's a long road for the Pac-12 to overcome the perception stuff, and it's not going to happen overnight. Probably won't happen for a few years, but at least right now we've got degree of clarity. Number one, UCLA is going, and you know what? Good for them for going for the money. But just say it's about the money. It's the same thing we've been saying for months. Just a little transparency would be nice. Yeah, I mean it's. It is nice to have a a great answer, right? A solid answer of what is going to happen. Like I, like you said, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't really care about who wins or lo- loses. Besides who I pick, who I bet on. Um, so for me, like I wanted USC to advance the playoffs because I thought they would be exciting. I think Caleb Williams in the playoff would be an exciting thing for college football. And you know, you look forward towards next season and this Pac-12 year. This past year, they were 16 in the top 25. So going forward this next year, it's going to be another good competitive conference with a lot of people coming back, yeah. You know, especially if Bo Nix comes back now. We still don't know that. Like, this conference could have, you know, five, six teams in the top 25 once again. And you just got to have one of those teams pop and become an elite team. 
Who is that going to be? I don't know, but you got to hope it's not UCLA or USC well, for next season. Maybe. I mean, it, it, the thing is, too, like maybe you just uh, you use USC and UCLA for your benefit while they're here. And by that, I mean, what if you, USC has the same season next year that they do this year? Make the Pac-12 title game. Caleb is a Heisman finalist, maybe a Heisman winner, but you don't win the Pac-12 title game. I think that's a win-win for the conference because, A, it gets everybody buzzing about you again. And talking about your games, it gets a lot of your games on Fox and ESPN and in primetime windows when USC is good and nationally relevant. And uh, and then B, at the end of the day, hey, USC is not your champion. So that's a win, too, for this conference. Like, that's getting both bites of the apple, I think. Use USC while they're here to be used. Use UCLA uh, while they're here to be used. Use them for your benefit. And then kick their ass out the door. More BFT coming up on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Give me your go-to holiday tunes that you like. 503-417-7575. Help me get in the holiday spirit. It's taken me uh, uh, longer than I would have liked to get into the holiday spirit. But here we are 10 days out, and I'm willing to dive in. Let's go. But a little good music will help. Sometimes you hop on Twitter, and things start to trend, and you're like, wait, what is that? And I'm skeptical that things that are in the trending category are actually trending because I'm sure Twitter can uh, set set things up to trend the way that they want them to trend. But I saw, uh, I saw something called, and tell me if this is trending for you too, Steven, uh, something called MILF Island (laughs) trending on Twitter. I did see that. Yeah. It's not just your algorithm. Well, that's good. Cause you know, what would that say about my algorithm? Uh, if things like Milf Island are uh, trending on on the Twitter sphere, now, now I'm going to ask you this uh, legal question here: Can I click on this from a work computer, or am I going to get uh, reprimanded for this? It's the beauty of working in talk radio, Stephen. You can click on anything you want and say that it was uh, content. It's for research. It's for research. All right. Well, I'll click on Milf Island then. As soon as you do, here come the notes from HR. Hmm. Your computer shuts down. I got five emails already. (laughs) Uh, But what I didn't realize was, and by the way, for those of you that are uh, interested, which I know is all of our listening audience uh, for Milf Island, it's a TV show, I guess. It's a TV show that's coming to TLC. Sounds about right. And uh, older uh, women and younger men apparently are coming together, and uh, who knows what happens next. You did not describe it as well as Twitter did. Uh, Eight hot moms leave home for their chance to find (laughs) love with men half their age, but they're greeted with a shocking twist. The new series premieres January 15th. It's already gotten 4,000 retweets in like uh, six hours. Pretty pretty funny. I'm in. Eight hot moms, I'm in on this With with men half their age, but they're greeted with a shocking twist. What could the shocking twist be? I don't know, but I'm in, Jim. (laughs) But I'm in. What what could be some of the shocking twists? Um, Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's hard to have that conversation, say, for radio. (laughs) But uh, I would say 
It, so the, what I what, what surprised me was the fact that apparently this was an actual idea on Thirty Rock. Did you watch Thirty Rock? I didn't. No. For a time of life, I watched all of it, and then I didn't really rewatch it a whole lot. But I forgot that uh, uh, Jack Donaghy uh, did say twenty five super hot moms, fifty eighth grade boys, no rules. Uh, when he was pitching a show for NBC on the on the Thirty Rock show, and that's basically what's uh, what's happening. So, uh, for those of you on the uh, Twitter.com sphere, I'm sure you're going to waste hours of your life uh, uh, on Milf Island. So good for you. I've not watched any of these shows. I'm not a big show guy. Definitely not a big romance show guy. I don't think I've watched a single episode of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, uh, Love Island. Or definitely not uh, MILF Island. But, um, you know, there's other things for me to spend my time with. But at the same time, I'm sure a a large swath of the audience is going to be glued January 15th. Yeah, I don't have a problem with these shows. Uh, (laughs) I don't don't watch them, though. I don't watch, like, so my wife was into, like, The Bachelor Bachelorette for a second there. And I watched the first episode with her. And then she forbid me to watch it with her because I was just making comments and making fun of like every single person on there. And she goes, Stephen, I just, I just can't take it. All right. Like you're ruining the show for me. Uh, and so I said, you would be a tough person to watch <laughs> corny shows with. Cause you'd be calling out all the BS. I would be. And I did. And yeah. I thought it was hilarious. I thought I was just, you know, rattling off great jokes and my wife just hated every second of it. And so I was forbid to watch any of those type of now, shows. Now, does she her. still watch them solo then, or uh, how no, does that work? Not, not anymore. I think she's over. I think it was more. She was more peer pressured by her uh, by her teacher friends to watch it. Yeah. So they had something to talk about. Well, peer pressure exists in the teacher world as much as it does in the student world. I'm now, sure. I love a reality TV show. I love watching good these reality TV. Like the challenge. Give me the challenge all day. Where's that one on MTV? Mm. You know the music television. You have to have cable. Ah. Uh... <laughs> For kids. I don't know. I got YouTube TV. How's that working? It was fine. I got no problems. I might have to look into that. I Now, I wish the Blazers were on there, but, you know. Blaze, you can't find the Blazers anywhere. I've given up all the Blazers uh, on watching them. Frankly, that's part of it. You know, we had that discussion a few weeks ago. Of If we should talk more Should about we them? talk more about the Blazers? And I was like, you know, I was giving John a hard time because, A, it's fun to give John a hard time. B... I think we could talk Blazers maybe a scotch more than we do on this show. Obviously, uh, you know, our competition around the market, one of them doesn't know how to talk about anything besides the Blazers. And then one of them is like, okay, at talking Blazers. And that's come from somebody that listens to everybody a lot. And I'm just trying to, you know, uh, analyze our own, you know, opportunities. Can we talk Blazers a little bit more? Probably a little bit. Uh, But we do it when they're relevant for sure. And they're like kind of relevant right now, but they need to prove it a little bit more, and uh, you know, be in playoff contention come the spring. And of course, we'll 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 talk about them. But then I thought about it, and part of it is I can't find them nowhere, and I don't got Fubo any vodka. Just and I away. had a vodka, and they pulled the plug. So what am, what do you expect me to do? Like I can't find you. I needed. I miss the KGW thirteen games a year with Mike and Mike. Man, I spoke to my soul. I missed it, and I don't hate Calabro, and I certainly don't hate Lamar. I got I got love for both of those guys. I think Lamar does a great job, and Calabro's been doing it for a long time. He's got a distinct voice and style that I think is overall a positive. I just miss I just miss Mike and Mike, and I miss having it being over the air on KGW. And you, you know, just not know, every game, but a handful of games. Just knowing you 
for the little bit that I have known you, you don't seem like the type that's going to want to go on the internet to sketchy websites to watch it. I used to. Oh. My collegiate days. You've changed, I, your, you've changed your ways. Yeah, I had some stupid virus. Oh. <laughs> Those viruses, <laughs> they'll get you. My MacBook shut down after a while. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I streamed a bunch of Maybe stuff. Maybe because you're streaming MILF Island. Probably. Back then? Who, who the hell knows what I was doing back then? I'm reformed now. I only watch The Bachelorette. That's that's much better. I yeah. actually don't watch The Bachelorette at all. I couldn't tell you a single thing other than at one point there was a, was it a contestant on The Bachelorette that was from West Lynn? And we used to have her on the show a lot. And she was cool. And like, uh, and her dad was cool. I remember that. And uh, we used to have her on the show a lot. I'll have to look back into who that was. Cause I, I can't forgot. remember her name. Yeah, she was. But she guy. was from the area. She was cool. But I never watched the show. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Final hour coming up on the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano. Here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Two hours down, one to go. BFT on a Wednesday on the BFT Radio Network. A newbie in for Canzano. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll be setting you up for a couple of things. One, Mike Parker will stop by Oregon State, Florida on Saturday. Two, our friend Curtis Rogers from Seattle Sports 710. He'll stop by former BFT uh, show staff member as well. Now doing great things with Seattle Sports. He'll stop by to preview Seahawks Niners Thursday Night Football from... Seahawks Stadium, Quest Field, CenturyLink Field, Lumen Field, Lumen Field. There you go. Fourth and final answer tomorrow night. Great game to kick off week 15. To me, Seattle has to steal one of these games down the stretch. You've got Niners home, Chiefs road, Jets home, Rams home. In order to make the playoffs, and I haven't broke down all the scenarios, Seattle needs to go 3-1 and one here. Coming down the stretch. And if you do, you finish 10 and 7. Gives you a really good shot. You got to steal the Niner game or the Chiefs game. And it probably won't be the Chiefs game. <laughs> so this is the game you got to steal as a three point dog at home against Brock Purdy's first true road start. Steal this bad boy. Get back in the race. Apply a bit of pressure on the Niners again for the West Division and get at least back into the wild card mix. And who knows? Things might bounce your way. But. Jets at the end of the year, they're playing great D, and uh, Rams will have something for you week 18. You know that, but so good good stuff tomorrow night. Judah, would you say it's an important four quarters for the Seahawks? Oh, a massive four quarters. We are four quarters away from figuring out who the Seahawks team is. Right. Uh, I know you love, to, uh, <laughs> you love to set me up for that. The next four quarters of football are immensely important. I would say the next eight quarters of football – Niners and Chiefs, that's a tough eight quarters of football. There's only 16 quarters left. Frankly, Stephen, there's only 16 quarters left of the regular season. And I hope we get 20 quarters of Seahawks football. But, but hey, look, it's December 14th. You're only going to get 16 more guaranteed quarters of Seahawks football in your life. So enjoy it while it's here. Yeah, I love that phrasing. Thanks for that. Thanks for setting me up for that. Uh, 503-417-7575. Drop me your go-to holiday tunes, your holiday artists along the way. A John Legend reference got snuck in there somewhere. Bing Crosby. Steven is all about the 50s and uh, 40s. Uh, how far back do you go? Dean Martin? Yeah, 50, uh, 50s is about as far 50s back. 50s is about go, yeah. as far as you can go. Well, that's fine, too. 
Uh, for me, it's George Strait and BNL. Those are my go-tos, but I'm I'm eager for more. If you, it, look, I won't even hate on Buble. If Buble's your your thing, you can let me know as well. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Let's whip around some of the top current headlines in the world of sports. It is our five at five. The five at five. All right, Mississippi State is going to promote their defensive coordinator to head coach. Obviously, Mike Leach passing away at the age of 61 on a Monday night. And Mississippi State is still going to play in their bowl game after the first of the year. I believe they're playing Illinois in a bowl game in Tampa, Florida. And they've also agreed to promote defensive coordinator Zach Arnett to head coach, replacing Mike Leach. Arnett agreed to a four-year deal. It's yet to be signed, but expected to be formalized in the upcoming days. Mississippi State went 8-4 and four this year with Mike Leach. Passed away at the age of 61. Baseball, the L.A. Dodgers have made another signing in a former big-time ace. Right-hander Noah Syndergaard going to the Dodgers one-year contract, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN. 30-year-old Syndergaard hopes to be the uh, latest pitcher to find a mid-career renaissance with the team well-known for extracting the best from its talented arms. So, Syndergaard to the Dodgers. That now has a rotation of Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, who was back on a one-year deal, Tony Gonsolin, and now Noah Syndergaard. Meanwhile, former Duck Tyler Anderson had a great year with the Dodgers last year, uh, but he signed in free agency with the L.A. Angels, and Andrew Heaney signed uh, in free agency with the Rangers. So Syndergaard goes to the L.A. Dodgers. Number three in our 5 at 5, we got a final set in the World Cup. Lionel Messi punched his ticket with Argentina yesterday. Today, Mbappe in France beat Morocco 2-0. They got a goal early in the match. They got a goal late in the match. France is moving on to take on Argentina in the World Cup final on uh, Sunday. Uh, kickoff time set for 7 a.m. Uh, on Fox. Actually, no. Croatia plays Morocco at 7 a.m. Fox. That must mean the final is at 11 a.m. If I'm uh, seeing that correctly, probably. I don't know. I thought the, I thought it was at 7. Are they both at 7? I don't know. Early. They're both early because you can't put it up against the uh, NFL games. But right now ESPN has... Oh, I got you. Okay. Croatia-Morocco is Saturday at 7 a.m. And then the final itself is Sunday at 7 a.m. Messi against Mbappe. What's your early lean on that? Uh, I mean, it just seems like this is Messi's tournament. Yeah. Give me Argentina. What? Uh, have you seen an early betting line? I need to see this. What I can do pull they it got up for you real quick here. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you do that. In the meantime, number four in our five and five, no injury designation for Kenny Walker. Seahawks running back, rookie, having a great year. He should be good to go for Thursday night football against the 49ers. Brock Purdy is questionable, but will probably play as well at quarterback. And uh, 49ers favored by three in that one. And uh, the uh, what? Do you have a betting line on that? What do you got? I do. Yeah, just to win. Uh, so of course, there's the regular time soccer bets, but just to win the World Cup. Argentina minus one ten, France minus one fifteen. Oh, very close. Very close. All right. France slight favorites. 
France a very slight favorite because they were probably a little bit slight pre-tournament favorites as well. Argentina lost, right, to Saudi Arabia They did, point? the first first match, yeah. Then have looked great since, so uh, this is good. So you can get Argentina and uh, minus 110, but it's basically a pick to win in regulation between those two. Uh, and the fifth of our final five at five, uh, you got to give it to UCLA. The UC Regents have voted 11 to 5, approving UCLA's move to the Big Ten Conference in 2024. And that is your 5 at 5, brought to you by uh, Mercedes Benz of Wilsonville. For uh, great deals, go to swickard.com. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. France is obviously very, very good. Argentina has been playing good as of late. You got Messi, you got Mbappe. Hard to bet against Messi, though, at this point, based on the run of form that he's been in. Uh, hat tip to Morocco. I was thrilled watching their round of 16 PK win uh, over Spain. That's nuts. I love seeing Ronaldo lose. Who likes Ronaldo anyway these days? Come on now. Uh, they beat Portugal in the quarterfinals. That was pretty cool. Uh, and frankly, like, France didn't run all over Morocco today. Like, France scored early, but you looked at the end and, like, Morocco was out shooting them. And they had two to one shots on goal before France got their second goal. So they hung in that game. And that and they lost a key player early in the game. So uh, credit Morocco, man. First African country to reach the semis. That blew my mind. I had no idea. But they were the first African country to reach the semifinals of the World Cup. So awesome stuff from Morocco. And if you're a U.S. fan, it's like, hey, making the round of 16 is good enough. Well, Morocco went to the semis. Uh, South Korea made the round of 16. I don't think that that can be, quote-unquote, good enough, just getting out of your group, especially going forward. And we'll see if Berhalter's still the guy or not. But, man, 2026 World Cup, a lot on the line for that one, Stephen. I'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, USA was one of the younger teams. I believe they were. They had the youngest uh, starting 11 I believe America did. But, yeah, I mean, when you look at Morocco, I think they gave up three goals the entire tournament. Like, that's how good they had been. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is the matchup that most people would want. Maybe a Brazil in there, but uh, star-studded, and it should be a good match. You know, so 7 a.m., I, I, I'll i probably be up and, uh, you know, getting ready for bet the game. I'll have the uh, the, the finale of that on uh, Sunday. So, yeah, so I'll be I'll be watching, but it, it should be a good, a good match. Uh, Arizona Cardinals GM Steve Kime taking a leave of absence for health-related reasons. Interesting. Uh, Kime and the Cardinals. Cliff, Kime, Kyler, and the Cardinals are a mess. They are a mess. Who gets fired first out of the Ks? Kime. Cliff. <laughs> it won't be Kyler. Too much money. Why they signed that deal, I don't know. Uh, it won't be Kyler, though. I know that for sure. But uh looks like Steve Kime taking a leave of absence. Uh, VP of Player Personnel, Quentin Harris. VP of Pro Personnel, Adrian Wilson, will handle Steve Kime's duties on an interim basis. 50 years old. Uh, Card- He's been the Cardinal GM since 2013. Signed an extension with the team in March that runs through the 2027 season. Cardinals are 4-9 and nine after losing to the Patriots on Monday Night Football and Kyler suffering the season-ending torn ACL. I, I don't see things getting better in Arizona anytime soon. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Who gets fired first, Kime or Cliff? And Kime, you know, I don't know. That's too much money for Kime, though, since he just signed the extension. That's too much money for him to, like, resign and walk away. 
You know what I mean? It's like, why would he do that? Might as well get fired and get paid some. And from what I understand, the Bidwell family uh, and Michael Bidwell Jr. is the, the guy running the ship there, allegedly. They're not keen historically on handing out uh, severance <laughs> before contracts expire. Not really keen on that, which makes it all the more head-scratching why in the world they would give not only big money to Kyler, but simultaneous huge extensions to Kime and Cliff when they didn't deserve it. I mean, they made the playoffs last season. Like We are forgetting that. Like, they made the playoffs. And remember, first half of the year, they were, what, 7-0 start the season? Like They were yeah. good. Like I, I, So I don't know if it's not necessarily they didn't deserve it. I think they maybe they overreacted. And if that sort of bad franchise does when you don't have much success. I mean, look at like the Mariners also. like They extend everybody once they had one good winning season. And I mean, it's worked out. They made the playoffs last season, but I feel like that's kind of what the Cardinals did is like they had a little bit of success and they bought all in on it. And now it, well, it maybe it was just a little fool's gold. Now they're in trouble. It'd be one thing if they went, you know, 12 and five last year and hosted a playoff game, maybe won a playoff game. You can't give these kinds of extensions without winning a playoff game. In my opinion, the winning a playoff game, or at the very least looking good in a playoff game, is fundamental to earning these extensions or giving you enough grounds to hope that this is sustainable. The way they finished the year, the way they performed in that playoff game, almost nullifies the fact that they got to the playoffs for yeah. me. Like, honestly, they were a five, right, in the NFC, because uh, the Niners were six, the Eagles were seven, but that 5-4 game... It was a Monday night at the Rams, and obviously they just got undressed, embarrassed, run out of the building, and the body language is terrible. How do you come out of that thinking, you know what, the three most powerful guys, we need to lock them up through 2027? Big mistake. I tend to agree with you because, you know, in all sports, the postseason is such a different season than the regular season, and to have a certain team, certain coaches be successful in the postseason is different than being successful in the regular season. Like, I worry about that with the Trailblazers all the time. That almost seems like uh, you're saying we should bifurcate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, Neil O'Shea just went off and said, you know, I was successful in the regular season. Well, you weren't successful in the postseason, <laughs> that, which is what matters. That, that's exactly right. Like, I just laughed so hard. You know, water bottle Neil was out here saying, you got to bifurcate, y'all. Look it up. I'm so much smarter than you. You got to bifurcate. I'm like, bifurcate between what? It's a good move, though, to use a big word and then just say, look it up. Yeah, I think it's a stupid move. Oh, you don't like it? No. I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to start bringing one big word to the show every day. It's fine if, like, people like you. It's a different, I don't know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a terrible move when you're a terrible person. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're and, bad. At, and you're bad at your job too. And you're bad. Yeah, you're you're you got a you got hot a couple of times. We have to give him that. He got hot a couple of times. Lucky. And then he went cold at a couple critical times. And uh, frankly, outside of that, your point stands. If you are bifurcating between the regular season and the postseason, huh? Gee. I wonder which one matters more. 
And you could say, oh, man, yeah, 82 games. Like, that's that's more than a series with a bad matchup against Anthony Davis. And uh, maybe, but I would I would say that's fine if you went seven games with that team. But you got your ass swept. You got your ass swept. As the three I don't, seed. I don't know how many minutes you even led in that game, that Zero. series. And they were the favorite. They were the three seed going into Unbelievable. That. Like, I'm not bifurcating crap with that. Like, that's just inexcusable. And I heard you guys joking. I don't know if it was that year. It was probably later. Which year was it? That Mo wouldn't take a three because of his three percentage and I'm getting trying, a bonus? Yeah, I don't remember what it year was it was. It was 16, was it? Or or what? when did they play the Pels? Like it, 19? No, 18 maybe. But that's a real thing. He, I uh, can't remember. He stopped shooting three-pointers the last like 12, 15 games of the year because he didn't want to hurt his percentage. Stupid. But I don't blame him. Well, like you would. You'd be jacking up threes. No, I'm going to earn 50K. Like I'm going to get that extra money. I would. Uh, I would be a team player and be confident in my three-pointer enough to to shoot the rock to win some games. I, don't know. I would not fold up like a like a chair just to make some money for myself. Am I surprised? No, but that's why Mo Harkless is Mo Harkless. <sighs> we don't have good role players here. We we talk ourselves into having good role players, good guys that root for we don't, our best role player right now is not playing. Because he's still out for some reason. Like, when is Gary coming? When is he actually going to play ball? Nobody does. Nobody does. Okay, well, Josh Hart. Josh Hart's great. I mean, when was the last time he, like, you know, was the Josh Hart that we knew and loved all of two weeks ago? <laughs> hey, Josh Hart, he uh, he took a couple three-pointers. The last five games, he's taken three three-pointers and four of them. So he's starting to shoot the ball a little bit more. I but, mean, it's too GP, early to pull a Mo Harkless, Josh. It's but, too early to not shoot threes for incentives. The GB2 is supposed to be back at the start of the regular season. He's still not, uh, doesn't have a timeline, so that's that's troublesome. I'm not a fan of that. Not a fan of that ambiguity. All right, we'll uh, go away. We'll come back. Uh, talk a little bit more NFL playoff scenarios here. Talk a little bit more Blazers is, uh, is there about to tip in uh, Tejas. And uh, more of your phone calls at 503-417-7575 on the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, has a statement. Quote, the Big Ten conference is grateful to the University of California Board of Regents for respecting the decision of UCLA to join our conference in 2024. The landscape of collegiate athletics is evolving. The Big Ten conference is in a position of stability and strength with unmatched opportunities, exposure, and resources for our member institutions and student-athletes. With the collective goals to prioritize the health and well-being of our student-athletes and forward our academic and athletic mission under the umbrella of higher education, we will continue our method methodical integration process of UCLA and USC. See, big words. Big words matter. <laughs> into the Big Ten Conference, unquote. K-Dub. K-Dub. Kevin Warren, Big Ten Conference. John Hancock. Uh, so UCLA is going to the uh, the Big Ten. My font is not very big on my screen, so I thought it was going to say, like, methodological, and it just said methodical. I just screwed it up because it was a simpler word than I gave it credit for, which uh, shouldn't be any shouldn't be surprising. But 
So UCLA and USC officially are going to go. The vote was 11 to 5 from the Board of Regents today. That is sending UCLA onto the Big Ten Conference and giving them happy trails. Um, all right. I will try to get past my initial skepticism of motives because I, I think this is just money-based. I don't really think that there's secondary advantages you know, these uh, these athletic platforms, these national platforms that Kevin Warren are touting, that Martin Jarmont are touting, is just uh, strategic more than it is substantive. So I think it's just money. I think we all know this, right? Uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's about the cash. So, Stephen, help me out. Uh, Ten years from now, how do you think we will look back on this move? Will it be A... The first domino or two, if you partner the Texas-Oklahoma exodus to the SEC, of many moves or that that get normalized, you know, geography playing second fiddle to money, or B, it was short-sighted, it was, uh, you know, all about the money, and we're going to end up in 10 years from now seeing many more of the negative consequences made manifest um, than we are going to see positive ones. Can I say a little bit of both? Because I do think that in 10 years, at least one of the major conferences, we got the five, I think one of them will be gone, right? I think it'll be down to four, if not even less than that. But I think that's worse for the game. And I think that is short-sighted. Like it's going to turn into, turn into even more of a regional sport. Like, Nobody outside of the Pacific 10 Pac-12 conference cares about the Pac-12. You look at the SEC or the Big 12, everyone thinks it's a joke, as they're saying right here. The Big 10 says, oh, so much more opportunity in the Midwest. Well, is there really? Like, the Pac-12 had six of the 25 teams in the college football playoff, but nobody takes them seriously. I think the fact that this is going to happen is going to make it even more regional if they go to less conferences. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a negative, but I also think that they're going to be making more money this way. And it's going to be more of a professional league, which I don't necessarily like. I like the feel of the college football vibe, but I don't know. What, what are your sense on it? I wonder about Oregon now. You know, I mean, I I kind of cringe at, all right, Oregon's got big-time leverage on its own conference if it ever wants to go to the Big Ten. I Like, when that first started getting floated a few months ago when all this was going down and the reports were coming out that Phil was trying to position Oregon to join USC and UCLA. It was Oregon and Washington together to maybe go to the uh, the Big Ten Conference. And, man, I cringed a little bit at that now. Like, at the time, I was like, yeah, I guess I can see it. Like, you know, you got to get your feet moving. You got to be part of the change if you want to get in. You got to get in now. But... I really don't know if that's the best thing. I don't really know if that's the thing that I'd be in favor for the most. And at the end of the day, like, I I know it's all about money, and money is perception, you know. At, but at the same time, like, are you going to really win more games? Like, I, I just, I'm just questioning how advantageous it's going to ultimately be. But it, it, is it about winning games anymore? It's not. That's the thing. And, it's not. But in the back of my head, in the back of my head, I'm wondering, is the winning games part going to matter eventually? You know what I mean? Like, 
the cash is going to hit, you know, they're going to get paid. I don't, and, but what does that mean? Does that mean more salaries for the people in power? Does that mean, you know, better resources? I'm sure that that, you know, that's all part of it. How much of an advantage are they going to have on the Pac-12 when the new deal for the Pac-12 hits? I don't know. That's going to play a major role. Whatever George is able to, you know, drum up here has a, you know, has a huge, has a huge factor into how we're going to look back at USC and, and UCLA's departure. But from a from a generalist standpoint, from a public perception standpoint, I do think there's a version of this where USC, UCLA go to the Big Ten and they don't do anything meaningful in the conference in, in terms of football. And I just I just wonder where is that line to where say if they they don't do anything meaningful for five six seasons, nope. I mean. They're maybe they make the playoff because the playoffs getting bigger, but I don't really know. Like, is there a line of demarcation to where they they are flirting a little bit with relevance or the lack thereof because they they don't have the ability to win as big or as many games as they would have if they stayed at the Pac-12 conference. I don't know, and maybe that's not even a real thing when you got the likes of like Rutgers in your conference. Do you? I mean, and this is a question, like, I've heard that a lot, like, USC, you, I could see UCLA not being as relevant in football, but USC is going to fall back by going to the Big Ten. With Lincoln Riley there, like, I don't think that they're going to fall back. Like, why can't they, or why shouldn't they be in the same tier as an Ohio State or Michigan? Like, this year, you could argue that they could compete with Ohio State and Michigan if Caleb's healthy, right? And that's with a bad defense right and I, I think it's just going to get better like so, this yeah. is the year i thought usc would be eight and four i thought it was gonna be better going on i think with lincoln riley there and committed to usc like why can't they be in the upper tier like i don't see them falling off in football i just i just wonder about the amount of road games in the big 10 that they play and where they are i wonder about the strategy of scheduling especially when the playoff expands how does the big 10 go about putting together USC and UCLA schedules because they probably, you know, want to put them up in positions where they've got a chance to get to the Big Ten title game. How are they going to do divisions? I don't. I mean, well, they already they already favor Ohio State, and they proved that yeah. in the COVID year. They just put them in the Big Ten Big Ten title game, right? When they didn't deserve it. So, where does USC fall on that? Are they behind Ohio State? Behind Penn yeah. State? Behind Michigan? Like, what's the they're behind? Order there? They're behind Ohio State. They're behind Michigan. They're probably. Behind Penn State, but not by much in terms of priority. So they'd be in that like the three tier. But they're going to be above Wisconsin. They're going to be above Illinois. They're going to be above Northwestern. They're going to be above Nebraska. Like you want that team to be playing big games in big national windows uh, where there's a lot on the line. And it helps that they've got a Heisman contender, but he'll be gone by 24, right? I mean, he's got one year left. And now USC, you know, the Big Ten has that 7 p.m. window where they can put a big-time game, right? Like, that's what they can have now with USC and UCLA. If they want. I mean, I don't know if you want to make your Midwest audience stay up that late for that. I think it's probably going to be more of UCLA, USC and UCLA playing in 9 a.m. slots uh, across the country, not in L.A., yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's going to be very many seven or seven thirty home games in Southern California. I don't think so. I think they're going to benefit from that. That's when um, they throw Rutgers out there. Well, or they can throw Rutgers out there and, and toss them on FS1. Give yourself UCLA Rutgers at 
11 o'clock Eastern time. Yeah. You could do that. And you know there's a bunch of degenerates in uh, in New Jersey ready to get down. And so, Oregon. And Oregon. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, ready to get down with that. So, And then basketball. I mean, obviously, this is not a basketball conversation, but, man, we it, don't get to see Oregon at Pauley Pavilion. We don't get to see, you know, them playing at, uh, at Galen. You know, and, and that's unfortunate, right? I mean, I, I I liked having the UCLA USC mini resurgences here with Enfield and Cronin, et cetera. Like those are those have been good programs for our conference in basketball. That's I, hoops. I do think the travel hurts for basketball a lot more than it does for football. Football being one a week once a week, I think that the players can adjust to that. Basketball, like they're gonna have to do some weird things with the scheduling because you can't have those teams just flying cross country, you know, day after day. So um, I think the basketball travel could be worse off for the UCLA and the USC basketball programs for sure. Do you think Oregon sniffs around moving now again? Like, I, like if the Big Ten would have Oregon, does Oregon have? Does Oregon owe it to themselves just to go for the money and go to the Big Ten? They owe to hear him out, right? Like, I don't see why you can't. Um, it sounds like Oregon wanted to, but the Big Ten didn't want him yet right. two months ago. Like, it sounded like Rob and everybody was trying to to join SC and UCLA. I mean, try to make that move. I feel like Oregon's probably not number one on the Big Ten's list. It would have to be no. Notre Dame. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I, I just I, think Notre Dame is more valuable than Oregon. Yeah, and if you're, I think if you're Oregon and the Big Ten does express some type of interest, you have to at least hear them out and see what happens because you don't want – the worst thing that can, you could do is just be left behind. And I don't think Oregon will ever be left behind. I think they're too good of a program, and they're too uh, well-known nationally at this point. But you don't want to be left left behind, and I so I think for the Big Ten, if they were to express interest in your Oregon, you got to hear them out in that situation. The Beavers, I think, have a sneaky role to play because if they become annual top fifteen team, you know, like, and by that I mean you're around a playoff spot. If the Beavers start making playoffs, um, you know, you might be like, oh wait, the Pac-12 does have some good teams. The Beavers are actually a good team. I forgot about that. You know, I'm yeah. I'm talking yeah. about that from like a national. Standpoint like the Beavers are legit good playoff caliber team. Which, if this year, you know, that wasn't the expectation this year for a top four spot, I don't know that it was the expectation going into the year if this was a 12 team playoff either. But the reality of winning 10 games, which they better do, um, is that you can talk about yourself as maybe you know taking care of business and getting into a playoff spot. If the Beavers become associated with the playoff. In just in conversation, not in terms of getting there every year, but just in terms of conversation in a 12-team playoff, that does the Pac-12 a world of good because then it means Beaver San Diego State becomes good football and not just, oh, my gosh, it's the Mountain West team against Oregon State. Like, who wants to watch that? No, it's like a good a good team that's new to the conference against a playoff-caliber Beaver team. You know, and that type of program, who knows what Kenneth does with, uh, with Tempe? Maybe he gets them rolling in a direction that can flirt with some playoff conversation. Jed, I I, Jed just got an extension. I believe I saw uh, Dylan Ham's already gotten like eight transfers in that were all from the Arizona area. Like they grew up in that area. They've already committed to Arizona State in the portal. Build a fence. Yeah, that's, build, that's what he wants to do. Build a fence with that pitchfork. <laughs> Kenneth, man, did he really leave in the middle of the Civil War? No. <laughs> he got he got the call the mentally, official call yeah mentally maybe 
All right, we'll bounce the break and come back. More of your phone calls at 503-417-7575. UCLA officially going to the uh, the Big Ten Conference. More of your reaction as well. You can tweet at 750 the game. Nubian for Kanzano on the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Kanzano on 750 the game. Michael Conforto was trending on Twitter, at least on my algorithm. Not sure uh, why that is. I kind of hate it when Twitter has a term that's trending, and then you click on it, and you still have no idea why it's trending. Like, it doesn't show it to you immediately. Instead, it wants to tell you about Kaiser Permanente five times in a row. I don't get it. So I still don't know why. Is there news on Michael Conforto that I'm missing, Stephen? That you can see? Uh, I don't see him anywhere on here. I will uh, I will do a quick computer search here. I searched Michael Conforto, and I got J- uh, Justin Verlander news and then Kaiser Permanente ads. So, you know, thrive. I don't know. I still can't find anything about Michael Conforto, former Beaver. So uh, I don't know if he's re-signing with the Mets or what. Um, okay. Uh, so I Google searched it as well. So the Mets are showing interest in Michael Conforto and J.D. Martinez. Okay, that must be the news. That the Mets are showing interest in bringing back Michael Conforto. I think a Woodenville, Washington native and former Beaver. Great. One of the many great big leaguers that have come through Corvallis and uh, Pat Casey's program. Um, now, of course, uh, having switched hands to Mitch Canham, who's doing a heck of a job there. Uh, I love college baseball. I love college baseball. That's one thing that we could talk more of, more than the Trailblazers. Some college baseball, huh? What Canham and Coach Waz are doing, Corvallis and Eugene. It's good stuff. Yeah. Steven, tell me you're a college baseball fan. You're a college basketball fan. You should talk college baseball, too. Uh, I remember back in the day, there was a college baseball video game that I used to play. No that, way. Are you it. serious? There yeah, was a like, college baseball video game? Maybe 06. What? Oh, that's phenomenal. Uh, check it out, yeah. I got to go find that. In fact, Mitch Canham, I believe, was the catcher on the Beavers in that game. Yep, absolutely. Part of uh, back-to-back College World Series winners. 06 and 07. They went there in 05. They won it all in 06. They won it all in 07. They won it all again in 18. I right on that? Oh, man, I better be right on that. I should really know this. I'm pretty sure it was 18, right? I don't know. Beaver fans are yelling at me right now. And they went again. I know they went in 13 because I was in college at the time, but they didn't make the uh, they didn't make the finals in 13. Uh, Wikipedia. Yes! I knew I was right. Uh, 06, 07, and 2018. They beat Arkansas. All right, Beaver fans. I'm on your good side. I remembered it correctly. Um, 18. Yeah, that's right. Because I was calling games that summer of 2018 for the West Coast League's Portland Pickles. Shout out. We were in Corvallis that day that the Beavers were in Omaha playing Arkansas and clinched the College World Series. They won the title like right as we were playing the Corvallis team at Goss Stadium at Coleman Field. So it was kind of surreal. We were at the home of the Beavers baseball. Um 
SoFi Stadium at Coleman Field, getting ready for the Pickles and the Knights. And we pushed back first pitch by like a half hour to an hour of our game so that we could watch the end of Beavers Razorbacks on the uh, on the video board in uh, at Goss. And uh, um, and uh, it was pretty cool. And the Beavers obviously won, and they synced it up with Mike Parker's radio call. So being able to see Mike call the action and hear Oregon State win another national title as I was in their building getting ready to call West Coast League action was pretty phenomenal. I mean, I would say that's the right choice. Yeah. Right? That, that, to push it back a little bit. Oh, so yeah, you got that. it. Yeah. By the way, Goss Stadium and Coleman Field, I, I, uh, I got to play a handful of games there in high school. Hmm. And that's where I, that's I've had some of my best games in that stadium. Uh, McMinnville High played some ball there. I think we played one or two games there in the spring, but I I specifically remember I played some fall ball, like my senior year, played some fall ball. Most fun I ever had playing baseball in the fall on you know on good weather days. So fun for me, man. That was a different level of fun, and it was it didn't have the pressure that spring ball had. Spring ball, there was a lot of pressure. Summer ball was fun because it was a little bit longer. It was kind of like more drawn out, and uh, and you've got a kind of a larger roster, and you you play you know other you know teams that are sponsored, etc. But spring ball was pretty intense. Fall ball was just fun, and we had some fall ball uh, down in Corvallis at Goss Stadium at Coleman Field. I played second base, and I made some diving plays out there, and I was like, man, maybe maybe I'll play for the Beavers one day. Uh, was my thought. It wasn't meant to be. They did. They decided not to recruit me for some reason, even though I hit all of 320 that year. Ooh, yeah, you did. And uh, my fielding percentage was perfect. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. I heard you were the next Tony Gwynn. You were the next Tony Gwynn with the bad, but that's right. Just you know, knee injury or something. But it, I will say, um, <laughs> as a guy, yeah, I you know played small college basketball. We got to play against you know U of O. Back at uh oh yeah back at uh, MacArthur Court Matt Court that's, wow, that's you how got old to play I am Matt Court yeah that's how old I you am you are old I got to play at Matt Court freaking ancient uh played uh, Gill Coliseum Oregon State speaking of knee injuries played at Boise State like it it is a different vibe when you played you... on the blue court at Boise State uh, is their court blue like their football field no I, oh it should be I don't remember if it was back then actually it <laughs> might have been but it, it is a I'm different just I don't think it was ever blue <laughs> it, it was a different vibe when you play like in those type of arenas and those type of atmospheres like, did you play good ball uh I played really terrible against Oregon State uh I, <laughs> it's when I learned that I can't overhype myself I got too excited because the Oregon State was coming off the year where they won zero pac 12 games yeah Craig Robinson's first year I was convinced I was gonna go in there and win the game like I, I was convinced <laughs> I was the best player on the court because the game before I'd scored like 25 in our opening night game and so I came out and I was way too hyped uh I only scored one point it was not great against Oregon I believe I had 12 or 13 points most in the second half and then Boise State I had a nice game I had like 17. nice how many texts did you get in those games uh, no, I feel like you'd be really fired up no no texts I uh just was really mad at myself I first play of the game I drove to the hoop got a foul at Oregon State and I thought oh dude this is over like I'm gonna score 30. Oh, you got a charge? No, or I uh, I drew, you I drew a foul, yeah, with oh, the line. Okay. And I thought I was going to have the game of my life. Like, I thought I was just going to absolutely beat Oregon State, and uh, we lost, and I was terrible, and I never got overhyped again. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. But, hey, you got to play at uh, at uh, Gill Coliseum. You got to play at Matt Court in the Albertsons Arena or whatever they're calling the Boise thing. 
I think it might was Albertsons back in the I day. I only say that because they, they, the football stadium, I think, is now Albertson Stadium. All right, I have a question for you. So my, you know, my family went to a lot of the games when I played those type of teams. I have an uncle and aunt who went to Oregon State. There were they were chanting all the Oregon State chants and singing the fight songs when their nephew <laughs> is playing against them. How do you feel about that? Because I'm like I'm like come on, that. you got to. <laughs> now they said they rooted for me like when I was playing. They're like cheering for me, but at the same time they're doing the Oregon State fight songs. And their quote was, "Well, Oregon State doesn't win too many basketball games. We have to cheer when they can win." That's really funny. Uh, I I don't know. I think that's the wrong like what, family. What's move. more important? You got to blood, you gotta blood or alumni. You got to root for blood. Come on now. It would have been even funnier if they started heckling you though. If they they should have like printed out like the uh, what do they call those? The the fat boy. You know, oh, the fat heads. Fat heads. Yeah. Fat boys, sorry. Maybe that would be one of the insults they said. Uh, one of the <laughs> fat heads of, like, your face sit behind the core and, like, you suck, Vaughn. You do this. Who spells it with an extra A after the age? Who does that? Like, like really good family family bars. I'll have to say, you know what? I, I respect it. I respect the fandom. <laughs> like, you know what? That, that That's your prerogative. I respect it. That's pretty funny. No, I didn't have any family uh, that rooted for the other team. <laughs> no, my dad. My dad came to a good amount of games, but he was pretty quiet. He was a quiet guy. That being said, whenever I heard him cheer, for me, it made me a little bit nervous because I was like, oh, man, my dad's pretty quiet. So now that he's saying, oh, come on, Judy, you can do it. I'm like, "Uh oh, maybe he's nervous for me, too, uh, getting in the batter's box. But, man. I used to always hate it when people talked about their glory days, and now I'm the one doing it. It's hilarious. Of course, it works its way around doing this. But, hey, these are good stories. Come on now. Steven got to play at Matt Court. Like, that's cool. That, uh, that That's a memory worth having. Yeah, uh, against Malik Hairston, Bryce Taylor, Tuan Porter, Jovan Catron. Jovan Catron was It was the dude. year after Oregon made the Elite Eight. So they made the Elite Eight in 03 and 07 or 08? Yeah. One of those. They lost to Florida both times. Yeah. Aaron Brooks year. We played the year after their uh, Concordia Portland. So the 08. So, yeah, that was the 08 team then, if I'm remembering right. Was that 08 or 07? I can't remember. Uh, It had to have been 08. When they went to the Elite Eight? Or no, when you played uh, them? Sorry, yeah. When we played them, so it would be 07. So uh, that Ducks, they lost to uh, Joachim Horford and Torian Green. Lee Humphreys. Lee Humphreys, dude. And uh, who was the three on that team? Corey Brewer. Corey Brewer, that's right. I was going to say Luther Head. That was Illinois back in the day. That was 05 Illinois. I have the box score saved in here from when we played Oregon. Nice. Yeah. Tom Porter was fun. I like that guy a lot. He was a he he was he was an electric player. But Aaron Brooks was sweet. That dude. And he had a great NBA career. Really nice long NBA career. But I remember I, I the the Florida losses both hurt, man. Those were tough losses. Like I'm I wasn't like a diehard fan, but I loved or I loved Oregon basketball. I loved them going deep at the tournament. The O three team, that was Ridenauer, Jackson. Yeah. Freddie Jones. Freddie Freddie how can you not love Freddie Jones? Mitch Platt. Um and uh they lost to Florida, I think, in O three as well. Or no, no, Kansas. Did they lose to Kansas yeah. in 03? That team was awesome. That's man. what it was. Yeah, they lost the to Kansas. Yeah, great team. That's tough. And then Kansas ended up going to the national championship and losing to Carmelo. Yeah. Right. And and, Akeem, and Michael, Michael Lee, Aaron Miles on that team. Aaron, yeah, Aaron Miles was on that team. Jefferson High, right? Michael, Aaron Miles. Michael Lee, too. Michael Lee was uh, from Jefferson? Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. 
I always, I went to school with a different Michael Lee, and it's always funny when, oh. <laughs> when I hear that word. I don't remember. Did Michael Lee go in the NBA? No. I don't really remember much. No. Yeah. Uh, but Aaron Miles, I mean, he got some run, right? I think he got a couple years a in A little there. bit? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, good times. Reminiscing on old Duck NCAA tournament teams. That's always fun to do. Yeah, Stephen Vaughn, 12 points back in the day against the Ducks. 12 shots, too. I was getting my shots up. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting. I looked up. up a box score. I got it. I got it saved. Twenty four minutes, twelve shots. I'm gonna get my shots up when I play. D, when I play at a D one school, I'm getting my shots. You up. got I'm it, man. That. Come on now. Not, a, not afraid of the moment. Not, you're not sharing the rock. I'm not afraid of this moment. I'm taking shots. <laughs> ISO, ISO. Exactly. I uh, love that. All right, we'll wrap it up for final time next on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Appreciate everybody that's uh, been along for the ride today. BFT 3 to 6, getting your holiday season going. I'm a little bit more in the holiday spirit now than I was at the start of the show, but just marginally. Uh, maybe we try that again tomorrow. People with uh, good holiday tunes, spin them my way. At Judah Newby, give me the uh, holiday tunes that put you in the holiday spirit, and uh, I might try to do the same. Right now, George Strait and BNL, clear top twos for me, but I need a third into the rotation. Buble, maybe, but, you know, it's a little too common ground for me. Uh, Steven, appreciate you joining as always as well. Looks like the Blazers off to a good start here. Yeah, man, uh, that offense, I told you, Judah, number one offense the last couple of weeks. They're looking good again. Now it is the Spurs who have the worst defense in the league, but uh, good offense is showing so far. What is? How long is Pop going to do this thing here? Uh, he's going to wait till to see if he can get Victor Wimbanyama. If he can get him, then he'll do it for uh, as many years as he can win titles with him. If he doesn't get him, then I would imagine he's out. We've also used uh, big words today that we challenged people to find the definitions of. Uh, Eric Johnson, 78, was making fun of our Neil Olshay bifurcate reference. He said that that's like Steve Patterson using the word subterfuge. Mm. <laughs> well, well played, Eric. Uh, well, well played. We're also talking USC, UCLA, officially gone to the Big Ten, UCLA in particular. The vote came from the UC Regents. 11-5 to approve UCLA's move to the Big Ten Conference. Uh, David on Twitter said, what if Dion to Colorado makes a little noise? That would be cool. And uh, Not bad, right? So Dion, Colorado, you got two less uh, opponents to worry about long term uh, down there in the Pac-12 South. So obviously, you know, divisions don't matter nearly as much to make it to Vegas, but less competition for Dion to make some noise in the conference as well. Uh, it's been good. Thanks for joining us. Talk Timbers is coming up next in the Portland market. We'll be back at it again tomorrow on the BFT. I'll be here. Stephen will be here. Mike Parker will join the show previewing Beeves in Vegas. Curtis Rogers from Seattle Sports ahead of Hawks and Niners as well. Thanks for being here. This has been the BFT. New BF for Kizano.